Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to CollinsLastStand.com. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 81. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Chris. He's home. Raygun. Chris, welcome back to California. How are you? Yeah, I'm back here. Here I am. Oh, boy. What? I know you're very excited about this. Seems like you're really uh, thrilled to be back (laughs) in in the fold in California. How was your trip? That was pretty good. I think I stayed a little bit longer than I probably needed to. It's always weird trying to gauge how much time you should spend on a trip like that. Sure. Because uh, you're like, you know, you spend like four days and it's like, ah, oh, well, then it's you're just rushing. But if you spend like a week and a half, you're like rushing to get out. It's kind of hard to, to balance. Definitely. I always feel like I've never properly gauged that one way or the other. Never have enough time or have too much time. And so I feel like it's a thread... Or it's a needle, I should say, that's impossible to thread, for me anyway. But the good news is now I just live around my family, so now I get to see them all the time, for better or for worse. And uh, maybe it'll be for worse, maybe it'll be for better. I don't know. We're going to find out. Who knows? We'll find out. We are definitely going to find out as time moves forward. Uh, Chris, this is, as I said, episode 81 of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. 
Our podcast goes up every week, every Tuesday on patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. Early ad free for $5 and up Patreon subscribers. We really appreciate you over there. Of course, Friday for all of the freeloaders, although we decided we weren't going to call them necessarily freeloaders, right? We we're going to call them cheapskates. Yeah, because there are some people at the lower levels that don't get early access, but still support us on Patreon. They're not freeloaders. Well, my Lord, they're not freeloaders. So well, we're now going to call you cheapskates, and we hope that's OK with everyone. Chris, I don't try to usually upsell the Patreon too much. We try to mention it every show a couple times just so people can come and support us since we can't do the show without you guys. But I was doing a little bit, you know, some mathematics with my a- my abacus in my bed yesterday. I had my abacus <laughs> with all the little beads and all. What a cumbersome way to count, by the way, that would be. And uh, I was thinking, so if you support us at the $1 a month level, that's $12 a year, obviously. Didn't need an abacus for that. But it's like somewhere between 20 and 25 cents a week. And you get uh, Sacred Symbols Plus, which is our Patreon exclusive supplemental episode we do every week for an hour, an hour and a half, sometimes even longer than that about all sorts of different topics. Uh, and then for $2 a month or $24 a year, you get Sacred Symbols Plus, plus the ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show, which we use plenty of in this particular podcast, as I think all of the audience knows. We like to include you a lot. And then, of course, the very popular $5 a month or $60 a year tier. And by the way, you can't pay yearly. I'm just kind of trying to extrapolate this out for everyone. That's the ability to get ad-free early access to all of our shows. It's really fun. We really do appreciate all your support. We really do need your support over on Patreon. There are thousands of you over there. So, That's going to be my spiel for now, but please come join us if you like our show and you can afford it comfortably. We don't want anyone to go out of their way and spend money they don't have, but you know, a dollar a month, $2 a month, $5 a month. I think most of you guys can handle that. And if you like our show and even love our show and even love Chris and even want to make love to Chris, (laughs) then consider doing that for us. We appreciate that. Now, Chris, last week's Sacred Symbols Plus was about the backlog situation that we all have going on. We called it Backlog Blues. And I usually try to tease the next episode that we're going to do, but I don't really know what it's going to be. And my suspicion, because of all the news kind of whirling around as we're recording this podcast about E3 and Sony's meeting, which apparently is going to be in February. We're going to find out more about that. I might cut in with a little interstitial after we record just to fill everybody in on this. But uh, I suspect it's going to be about that. So we'll find out when we record it. But come join us over there. And uh, if you want to leave us nice reviews on iTunes, etc., we really could use them and we appreciate that. And you can, of course, go to CollinsLastStand.com for more information on everything, including merchandise. I also want to throw out just a quick shout out to my other podcast that I do with my brother Dagan. It's an epi- a podcast called Knockback. It's a retro and nostalgia podcast we do every week. And we just did episode 100, a four hour episode about our 100 games that we love or adore. It was really fun. We really liked it. Really good stuff. Gave lots of people lots of recommendations. So go check that out if you want. We usually don't talk about Knockback on this show, but it is a fine podcast from Colin's Last Stand. All right, Chris, let's get into some, I guess, reader inquiries, some corrections, et cetera, and so on. You you have nothing else you really want to say right now, do you? Before we get into it? Well, I mean, I, I just got home, so I'm still settling in. And of course, right. uh, the second I get home, everything is in complete disrepair. So that's what happened. Uh, <laughs> Tell me what happened. Tell me what happened. Dude, man, I don't know. Like there's like water in the floor in the hallway. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck. I, I, I don't think I'm a smart person, you know, 
I think that I'm relatively decent. I think my IQ is like on the the lower 70s. You know, wow. I could get by. <laughs> I can get by in the United States with that. But like the second I leave and come back, everything is just like, hey, the walls aren't here anymore. Hey, uh, you know, <laughs> the microwave uh, exploded and the kitchen is now a ditch. Or like it's, it's just always some insane thing that I wouldn't even know how to go about doing on purpose. So I'm just like there. That's 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 my uh, my spiel about being home at this point. Now, is this just because of the nature of your building, or does this have anything to do with your roommates? Uh, I suspect it's both. Like yeah. my my roommate Tom Sweeney, literally, like I walked into his bathroom and I was like, "Dude, there's a crack in the tub," and he was like, "Oh, I didn't even notice." And I'm like, "How do I notice a crack in your bathroom, the bathroom that I never use, and you don't?" Like it's just baffling. This is an un- an unholy alliance between nature and and your roommates. It's <laughs> it's it's definitely trying. They cover everything for free here, but it's like this the service is also just shit. So I'm probably gonna have to wait like at least like four days before some some psycho picks up his phone and decides to call me and put new floors in or put new wood in the hallway. It's it's just annoying. It might be time to move. Uh, I'm definitely looking. I've been looking yeah. for uh, looking for a while. Okay. Get the hell out of this building. Not looking hard enough, it looks like. But no. now, Chris, you said that you have an IQ of maybe 70. I was just looking up an IQ scale. I think anything below 80 is like severely incapacitated. So I think your IQ is more in the one teens range, which is if you have an IQ of 110 to 119, it means you have a superior intelligence and that means that your intelligence is on middle ground. I don't know if that's true. Maybe even higher than maybe one in the one twenties with an IQ of one twenty to one thirty nine. It means you have very superior intelligence, and your intelligence is better than most. That's what I would think you would be in one twenty. Yeah, well, in the one twenties because your intelligence is better than most. There's no doubt about that. Well, then it's uh, yeah. I don't know, man. It's astounding how stupid I feel most days, and then I come home and then I just feel like a genius. I think if you're an IQ of if you have an IQ of seventy, you like can't even feed yourself. Well. Well, I mean, I, I do I do depend on apps for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Me too. Me too. Of course. I had a situation actually this week where I called. I I've actually started to you know get into the Uber Eats and the Postmates situation here in the Richmond suburbs of Virginia. And there aren't obviously as many options, but there's plenty of stuff. And, and what's so funny is how far people will drive to like bring you your food. It's like, oh, this place is seven miles away. I'm like, that seems, you know, in, in LA, that would be impossible. Yeah. You would never get something. But this here, they're like, yeah, I won't bring you seven. So I ordered five guys, which wasn't that far away. But then my mom lives in like a, a little gated community thing, which is really, it, it's really not a gated community. It's just got a gate at the front for some, you know, arbitrary reason. And I gave the guy the code to get in and he just did it wrong. Now, everyone else that's delivered groceries and food to me has figured this out, except for this gentleman. So I had a <laughs> I, I was in the middle of watching the tutors at night and I had to go out into the cold and I ran like Forrest Gump down the street to get to this guy with the, the five guys because I didn't want my food to get cold. You know, <laughs> Oh man, that sucks. And then I was winded for like a half an hour, so I couldn't even eat. Well, it's good. You got to work out to justify your five guys. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I ran no more than a tenth of a mile at the most that's, round trip. That's still kind of, you know, you know, any progress is progress, Colin. Don't sell yeah. yourself short. Yeah, you're right. I appreciate your support. What were we talking about now? Oh, yes. Yeah, so we were going to get into <laughs> into all of this here. Martin wrote into us on Patreon, just like everyone out there. Kenny says, not a correction, but a reminder. As requested last episode, you wanted to know what the bastard game was. So 
Remember, we we talked about there's a game with the word bastard in it that's coming out. We talked yeah. about and I was saying that back in the day, there was a game with the word bastard in it that Sony made them change to release on PlayStation 3 and PlayStation Vita. And I couldn't remember the name. A lot of people wrote in about this. The game is Stealth Bastard, which it was called Stealth Inc. Inc. on PlayStation 3 and PlayStation Vita. It came out in 2013. So we appreciate Martin and everyone else that wrote in about that. I, I was racking my brain about it. And I just don't know why I couldn't remember it because there's another game, this kind of mediocre 2D side scroller on PS4 called A Bastard's Tale. Oh, yeah. At some point, they totally changed their mind on this. But I remember that being really controversial and annoying because Stealth Bastard is an awesome name for a yeah, game. Much better yeah. than Stealth Inc. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a way better name. Also, I yeah. just think Bastard as a, as a word just isn't really. I don't know. It, it doesn't really sound. It, it sounds like an alien race more than it sounds like a. Like a curse word to me at this point. Maybe it's just because so many fascinatingly uh, unique curse words have uh, cropped up in the last right. 10 years. Like, uh, sure. Fuck boy. Yeah. Is one that's a. V- what is a fuck boy? People have called me fuck boy, but I don't know if, what that means. I genuinely don't know. I don't know yeah. what that means, but it's, yeah. you know, it's definitely a lot more vulgar than bastard is. Well, I, I always figure I always considered. I don't know why going back to like my primitive child brain. Like words like hell, bitch and bastard always seemed like the low rung yeah. curse words that you can. cut. I remember like starting to work hell into my vocabulary as a kid and like it wasn't really that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah. You, you Did you do that thing where you like test it out whether or not you could say things? Yeah, exactly. But then you do. Did, but then you make a grievous mistake, like calling your sister a bitch yeah. when, you're, <laughs> when you're fighting. And that's that's not going to work. No. That didn't work out too well. So there's that. We appreciate that, Martin. Very much. Yeah, the word bastard. You know what it reminds me of is the flagrant use of bastard in Game of Thrones. Like they're always referring to, you know, fa- or, you know, in what would you say, like uh, out of wedlock children as bastards. And Jon Snow is a bastard. And they're always like, you bastard. Get your bastard. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. He's like standing right there. Do we have to call him a bastard like to his <laughs> face? Hey, Can't man. you at least wait until he leaves this stone throne room? Well, there's no Internet, so, city? you know, you got to make sure people know when you're around. That's true. That's a good point. Adam O wrote into us and he said, hello, Emperor Colin and King Chris. Now, those could be considered the same thing, although I would consider like Holy Holy Roman Emperor Charles V was a contemporary of King Henry VIII. They both had equal power, but one was an emperor and one was a king. So I don't know if he's trying to insult us. I don't think he is. No. I think he's just trying to make us feel good. He says, this question is more geared towards your platinum and rewards question from a view on last week's show. So last week we were talking about how Sony has dropped the ball with platinum trophies and also that there's no interesting reward system that encourages people to get trophies and that it would be probably impossible to do in any meaningful way because of how fucked the entire system is now. He says, Colin, because you don't know much about Xbox. Ooh. Ooh. I figured I would say so I would say Sony could do something quite close to what Xbox is doing with Game Pass for Microsoft reward points with PS Now. Every month Game Pass will have mini quests to get X achievements for Game Pass games and they are worth X amount of points, which can be turned into Microsoft rewards or other things. If Sony could do this for PS Now, they could change the metagame and maybe get people into getting PS Now as well. I also think you can get rewards for these games even if you played them already before they were in the service. Thank you and keep pumping out blood for the blood gods. I guess we'll do that. I mean, every once in a while, there's like a little bit of blood in my poop. That's oh, about the man. only blood that that's coming out of it. No, I'm probably dying. So 
Chris, this is an actually an interesting point. And this is exactly what I was talking about last week, because in a smaller way, Sony could certainly manage this and um, allow people to get points or some sort of rewards to PSN or whatever the PlayStation Store without having to have an overarching system. Because, again, the value of trophies, while literal on the system, are totally up to the game and you can get a platinum trophy in 10 minutes that you can also get in 100 hours. So I like this particular solution. Were you familiar with this at all? I think I I saw something about quests on Game Pass and I was like, I knew that they were like achievement based, but I wasn't sure what you got for them because I just didn't care. <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I was vaguely aware of it. I just didn't want to say anything about it because I didn't I didn't I didn't want to seem like a like adult, like a daft yeah. fool. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a genuinely good idea. I like I like that. I hadn't really given that whole system much thought. And and let's consider again, Chris, that and we've talked about this so much about all the little things Microsoft is doing right because they have to do them right because they're in second place and they're trying to be very competitive. This is just another additive thing. It's like a an ingredient in a greater dish that yeah. I really, really like. I just really like Microsoft. I like the cut of Microsoft's jib. Let me put it that way. I like the cut of their jib. I don't really know exactly what that means, but I know it means that you really like what they're doing. So it's like um, having your cake and eating it, too. Never really understood what that meant either. Now, Chris, we said earlier that there are rumors circulating about PlayStation and PlayStation 5 at E3. Some people upset about its performance or lack thereof at CES, a consumer electronics show, which was last week. Again, I'm going to cut in here at some point. There are rumors. I actually read this Push Square report. Where is it? Where did I put it in my little thingy here? Oh, I think I overlapped it when I was looking up your IQ scale. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, anyway, apparently rumors are circulating that there's going to be another PlayStation meeting type thing in February, possibly in New York City which is what happened in 2013 when PS4 was revealed. I was invited to that. Obviously, we are not going to be invited to this one, which is fine. But we'll cut in and I will cut in with more information if it crops up after we record, because it's just the nature of when we record that we can't really wait for this to come out. Yeah. But I did want to recommend to people that there is a Jim Ryan interview in Business Insider Japan. And this has been translated by websites like Gamatsu and I think Silicon Era and others. You guys can go check that out. He basically doesn't really say much, but it is worth reading if you want to see. Like he's basically just saying no one really we haven't revealed anything meaningful about PS5 yet. So there's a lot to be excited about. I totally believe that. But Chris, I really wanted to ask you two different things here and we can get your take on both of them. The first thing is, do you think Sony should go to E3? Because the rumors right now are indicating that they're not going to go. And I actually, again, really like this move, although I think it's surprising considering they are again going to give Microsoft the stage by themselves during a console release year. So what do you think? I I think they should be at E3. I think 100%. Like, I, I think it almost feels... It just feels like they don't really have a really good hold on how they're messaging things right now. I know they're going to do this whole event in February or whatever the hell it is, but I do have this weird feeling like the way they unveiled the logo was just really strange. And like, I I, I think they need a showcase in tandem with everybody else to really show how they could stand out. It's a good point. Actually. I really like that point in the sense that it looks good by themselves. They look great by themselves, but they'll look even better if they're along their competitors and they still look the best, which is what happened during the PS4 launch year in 2013. And I think that yeah. really helped help them shine. It's a great point. 
You brought up the logo, which is the other thing I wanted to bring up. I put it out on Twitter. I also cut an interstitial into last week's episode so we can talk a little bit more about it now that Chris is here. People were really like up in arms about this logo. And I, I, I didn't really understand. I'm like, it's what did they what do you want? It, I think it looks great, first of all. And it's a continuity thing going all the way back to PS2. Did you want them to? And I'm not saying you. I'm saying the royal you, the people that are upset. Did they want like something totally new? I like the continuity between all the logos and that you can just put them all together. I think it's cool. I think it's less about the how the logo looks and more about like, why would you just reveal a logo that we all could have predicted would look this way? Like, it just seems like an unnecessary fanfare for something that was pretty obvious and pretty mundane, especially considering it doesn't come in tandem with any sort of meaningful hardware or any meaningful information about the upcoming hardware it just feels like the playstation 5 logo should have been revealed alongside the playstation 5 not some random twit like not some random twitter thing i don't know yeah you're probably right in the sense that it's it seems underwhelming at a show like ces when it's all about new tech like they rolled out a sony car yeah. which was really interesting. Uh, it's a prototype. I don't know if it's ever going to go to manufacture. That's a really dangerous business to get in, actually. But I, I hear what you're saying, but I, I want to encourage everyone just from the logo standpoint itself, not with all the context around it, but just with the logo itself. Remember that when they revealed PlayStation 3 in 2005 and then it was released in 2006, they went with the famous or infamous Spider-Man logo that wrote the entire thing out. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't until PS Slim, PS3 Slim came out in 2009 that they went back to that PS2 style tight little lettered logo and then they kept that going with PS4 and PS5 and I think that's smart because I think doing anything else and changing horses midstream as it were that's just got bad mojo attached to it because of what happened with PS3 so at the very least that was like the least shocking thing ever and I I, I understand what you're saying about only showing that people want to see the box and all of this and some people conjecturing that the box isn't finalized yet. I, I guarantee you the box is finalized. They're probably ordering parts. And I wouldn't be surprised if the parts are already starting to come in and the chip sets and all that kind of stuff. These aren't things you can just change, you know, late in the game. They're going to have to start manufacturing these things and putting them in boxes in the next four or five months beginning. Yeah. So uh, so I think the box is done, but I think that maybe you're right. I, I think that what they're trying to do is set a little it's like Hansel and Gretel walking through the forest, right? They're trying to like set a little bit of like some crumbs on the ground so that people follow along and they don't get distracted by Xbox Series X and all these other things without having something in the game. Now, I do think it would have been more interesting and maybe a little bolder and more dangerous, but more interesting for sure if they just shut up entirely and didn't yeah. talk about anything. But I guess their PR instincts say that they have to stay in the conversation in some way or people are going to start getting disinterested or start getting distracted by this other pretty thing over here on the horizon with Xbox, which is talk, being talked about since E3 last year. They've been talking about the new Xbox Scarlet. So we'll see what happens. I think we're going to know more in the coming weeks. And again, Sony hates us, so I, I doubt we're going to be invited to this thing, but we'll obviously cover it. Uh, when the time comes, really exciting stuff. The interesting thing about the rumor about the February event is that they're also apparently promoting it as a PS4 and PSVR event. So it could be a little bit of everything where they're going to so show Last of Us and Ghost of Tsushima yeah. and all that stuff as well, which would be nice. And by the way, if that's the case and that happens, then maybe they won't be at E3 because they'll have nothing else to show, which makes a lot of sense. And also all the third party kind of rumors that are going on right now maybe can be at this PlayStation 5 event, too. So. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. By the way, I didn't get your opinion last week because I cut in by myself, Chris. But do you have any opinions on the new sales figures? 106 million PS4s, 
uh, 5 million plus PSVR units, which is huge, and an attach rate of over 10 for PS4, which is awesome. Uh, pretty great numbers. Yeah. All, no, that's, all told. That's, those are pretty those are pretty good. Even in the face of like a looming next generation, that's that's pretty good. It's yeah. And I think more imminently, Switch is just dominating PS4 in sales right now. And even with that happening, they still manage to uh, sell all of these extra units. And I don't know. My I, my prediction is that I think that PS4 might even settle in the 120s, which would be really amazing. I mean, that's like really amazing. That's f- yeah. 50 million more than PS3. I do think the hard cap with the PlayStation 5 coming out will just completely screw it as far as like, you know, consistent momentum goes. Like once the PS5 is out, there's really no reason to have a PS4 at all. Even for like a budgetary reason, you would assume like, ah, I'll just wait because there's definitely going to be like a PS5 Pro or something. And like a PS5 Slim, and then the original models. Can, it, it, this is just the, the the hardware reality that we're in with consoles now. So I, I would be interested to see how PlayStation 4 fares after PS5 comes out. That's the that's what I'm super interested in. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, it's a double edged sword because if they drop the price precipitously of PS4 in the face of PS5, they might actually distract people from getting PS5 yeah. by making the console too cheap. So that's one way of looking at it. And the other way, of course, is what you said, which is that everything on PS4 is going to play on PS5, presumably. Uh, that's pretty much guaranteed. So we have to see how that all shakes out as well. I think price point will be really important there. But it's exciting. I mean, we're, we're really getting pretty close mm-hmm. to the reveal. And before we know it, these consoles are going to be here. And there is another piece of the comp- uh, of the equation, too, which we don't talk about in the news because it's more Xbox centric. But they had come out and said that Xbox Series X isn't going to have any exclusives for its first year to 18 months, which yeah. is nuts. I mean, that's really nuts. And I, I think that's bold, but I don't think that's smart. And Sony has since said, I guess, through sources that PlayStation 5 is obviously going to have PS5 only exclusives at launch. So already these two consoles and these two manufacturers are diverging again. Mm-hmm. And I think it's great. And I, I don't, for all the credit I've given Xbox, I think that's a huge mistake because it's going to have this really slow burn. I mean, they've basically guaranteed that PS5 is going to outsell it now again. Yeah, so I don't know exactly maybe. what the... I, I I do think it's a fascinating... Th- that could be like a whole P- PlayStation Plus episode, honestly. About like the way the the strategies that these two companies are going about things, it's definitely f- like just the most different that both of them have taken sales to a console, probably ever. They must be seeing some sort of data with Game Pass and all of this, and maybe the way XCloud functions as well, that they don't want to leave people behind, which I think is cool. But I don't know; it doesn't make your next machine as exciting either. Which is a problem. Yeah, it, there is like a, a loss of. I mean, I, I honestly feel like the the jump between consoles has just been getting increasingly less interesting outside of just the fact that there's just a new shiny box that does the same thing. Uh, I feel like that's been happening for a long time. I was talking on Twitter earlier about like just how it feels like the longer tech evolves for and the more capabilities that we throw into tech, the less seems to change on a grand scale. Hmm. And I just feel like we're just like even with PlayStation 5 coming out. I feel like you're going to play a game on PS5 and it's not going to feel really all that different from playing a PS4 game, especially right out the bat or even like by the time that console ends its life cycle. I just feel like we're at that point where we're, we've just reached an incremental evolution stage of games. I wonder what the exclusives are going to be 
that's what's most exciting to me is like what yeah. who's going to be ready to go who's going to be ready out of the first party and, and certainly the second party to to get these games out I'm, I'm feeling guerrilla games deep in my balls i feel like they're going to be ready with something yeah maybe kill zone we'll see maybe horizon we'll see what happens but that would be huge i mean to have horizon 2 for instance as a ps5 launch game would be fucking bonkers and so so exciting so very exciting if that were to happen and it's possible because horizon came out in february i think of 2017 so by the time the consoles come out it would have been like what three and a half years that's enough time for them to to make the game for sure so i don't know we'll find out what happens very exciting oh also chris i forgot to bring this up you tweeted out a really disturbing sonic cosplay (laughs) video yesterday I, yeah. I want people to go to chris's twitter account and watch that horror show uh it's not good it's not good at all the angie's list you know and trust is now angie and we're so much more than just a list we still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly we can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Chris, Tim Bob wrote into us. Tim Bob! Do you think they call him Tim Bob? Like his, you know, that's like his full full name. Sounds like an alias, honestly. Yeah, like something that somebody would call themselves if they were off to like kill a royal family member or something. Oh, yeah, like a like a Guy Fox kind of situation. Yeah, Tim Timothy Robert wrote in said, "Hey, Crispy Colin and Coco Chris, from the reactions I've seen in some circles, do you think Sony is making a mistake with the way they're going about the PS5 reveal? It seems like for many people, even though Sony didn't exactly uh, promote CES." On their gaming channels, the reveal of just the logo went over badly, which we just talked about, with a sense of just show us the console or don't show anything at all. Given Sony's official reasoning for not going to E3 2019 was that they didn't have anything new to show, are they making the same mistake they claim to want to avoid with these sorts of reveals? Chris, the reason I wanted to bring this question up, thanks, Tim Bob, for writing into us. The reason I wanted to bring this up is because I want to remind everyone in this calamitous, exciting, unpredictable year of 2020 to keep your expectations in check, because I think that that's what's that's what keeps disappointing people over and over again are just these wild expectations that people have about what's going to happen and what's not going to happen. I told you guys, I mean, you have to trust me sometimes, not all the time, but trust me sometimes. I told you there was going to be nothing meaningful at CES. I told you. And anyone who was surprised by that, well, lots of people don't listen to this show, of course, but you have to understand that Sony's not going to just talk about something without promoting it first. And so when they weren't promoting CES on their social media feeds and talking about it on PlayStation blog and all that, you just knew that there wasn't going to be anything meaningful there. And in fact, all they did was reiterate what we already know about the console, 
you know, faster load times and backwards compatibility and blah, blah, blah. We know all of that. So I wanted to bring that up, not because we talked about most of that already, but just to remind everyone to keep your expectations in checks because because that allows you to get excited by being by someone over delivering, let's say, as mm-hmm. opposed to you expecting the world and then getting nothing. I just don't understand why game enthusiasts keep doing this to themselves over and over and over and over again for years. It's yeah. really weird. Yeah. So just relax. Everyone relax. Everyone relax. <laughs> Take a chill In fact, pill. I think it's more exciting to wait longer, too, because then we'll have a, a, a we'll have fewer months in between the reveal and the console actually coming out. Like if they were to reveal the thing in September or something like that, which is not going to happen, obviously. But if they revealed it in September or something I'd, and then released it in November, I'd be like, this is awesome because now we have so little time to speculate that we're going to have it in 60 days or whatever. So everyone just relax, please, please, please. <laughs> Your pleading you. will fall on deaf ears. I know it will. Well, it's because like every E3, everyone has like these crazy predictions. And I'm like, these things aren't going to yeah. happen. You know, like there's no, you know, like David Jaffe is going to drive onto the stage again with another <laughs> with another ice cream chuck. That was a big surprise. Though. That was actually a cool surprise. OK, James Walker wrote into us and said, hey, CNC Cheesecake Factory. Recently, Jim Ryan was quoted as saying that the PS5 has heretofore unannounced special features baked into the system. Shout out to the word heretofore. Love that. Disregarding our hopes and dreams for backwards compatibility, what if, and hear me out on this, the PS5 had a video creation software built into it directly, maybe even a way for the PS camera to use green. And he means a green screen, obviously. Just a thought I had rolling around in my head. Regardless, keep up the good work. Without your show, my work week would suck. I'm sorry to hear that. What do you do the, let's see, between Sacred Symbols and Sacred Symbols Plus, you got about three and a half hours of content. What do you do the other 36 and a half hours of your work week? <laughs> do you just listen to the shows over and over again? I hope that that's what you do. Yeah. That would be awesome. Chris, what do you think of this idea? This was an interesting inquiry to me for one reason. The PlayStation camera, people might remember this, and we've discussed this on the show in the past, but PlayStation camera, the PlayStation Eye or whatever for PS4 was so severely under manufactured when PS4 came out that it couldn't you no one could find it for a really long time. And I don't know if people remember that, but Sony underestimated the want for people to stream. They didn't understand that people actually wanted this thing and they were really hard to find for a long time. And so I wonder if this there isn't something a little bit more to what James Walker is asking here that Sony would have some more robust onboard editing software understanding or trying to uh, anticipate this need for people to stream, to make videos, to edit, to put things on social media. Do you think something like this would be possible? Yeah, I mean, I could see them putting like maybe like some chroma key functionality into the PlayStation Eye or something like that. I don't really think video editing software is a particularly huge leap that would be only possible on the PlayStation 5. I think the Xbox One had video editing software from like day one and I, nobody used it because who who the hell is going to want to edit videos on a console? It's just not really. But I could see streaming focused, you know, innovations happening in that space for sure, because that's not only is it a lot more valuable to Sony where they can have their games streamed on Twitch more often with a lot with a lot more people being able to take part in it uh, due, to the, due to just the sheer ease of it. But it would just be a pretty good tool in general. It would be cool to just give people as many, many options as are reasonable that they think people would use. Yeah. I just think that I think they learned a lesson with 
they I mean, they left money on the table. I don't know how substantial the amount of money on the table they left, but they left money on the table because I remember when I was at IGM, people were bitching and whining constantly on Podcast Beyond and in comments and stuff that they couldn't find a PlayStation camera. And it was like it was not a problem for us because they sent us like a whole box of them, which we appreciated. But it was like, shit, I, I guess they really, you know, that's like I don't know if that's a fireable offense, but if you're the or, you know, the marketing and ordering guy and trying to figure out what you need and you just don't have any of these things available and you're just, you know, they're like 40 bucks a piece or 50 bucks a piece. It's like shit. Uh, we we can't do it. Well, I think I think a lot of it might have had to do with just the reaction to maybe connect. And how like mm, negatively the 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 general gamer population or whatever the hell you want to say, uh, how they felt generally towards Connect was pretty negative. So they felt that they would. All right, well, let's just under manufacture these cameras. Maybe a, a couple of people will want them. And it turns out most people actually want a camera. I could see that being a thing. It's also I think you're probably right. That's a great point. And I also think that it's funny how quickly things change because Twitch wasn't even like a really front facing partner on PlayStation in the beginning. It was like you stream and all this random shit. So, yeah, it's just really funny how the tides have totally turned. I think I brought up on the show in the past. I remember interviewing the CEO of Ustream in the months leading up to PS4's release. And Twitch wasn't even like a factor in our coverage for some reason, even though it was starting to grow a little bit there. So, yeah, times have changed. We'll see how Sony handles all of that, but it'll be really exciting. Uh, an ancillary, let's say a tertiary even thing that we can talk about when the time comes. Chris, there are also rumors circulating about two other games. One is a new Star Wars game, apparently slated for 2021. And another is the new Assassin's Creed game, which is widely believed to be called Ragnarok. So the Ragnarok rumors have Assassin's Creed taking place in a Viking or a Norse kind of situation, kind of like the God of War reboot. And the Star Wars rumor is interesting simply because it claims that the new push, like this new era of Star Wars that they're going to do post episode nine is actually going to begin with a video game, which I would believe. Yeah, Um, we're not we're not going to report about either of these things here because I don't really know these sources. They're not being picked up really by anyone else and I'm not really in the know in, uh, in terms of like these Star Wars fan sites and whatnot and these Assassin's Creed fan sites but those rumors are percolating out there and Gavin Alexander wrote into us and said another week another Assassin's Creed Ragnarok leak are you guys Assassin's Creed fans if so are you looking forward to an Assassin's Creed set in Nordic lore what locations would you like to see in an AC game that we haven't seen yet thank you as always keep making video game podcast great again well we will Chris how do you feel about Assassin's Creed and how do you feel about a possible uh, Norse Assassin's Creed, and where would you want to see the series go? Yeah, I don't know. I like I I haven't played an Assassin's Creed game since maybe Black Flag, and I didn't even really get that far in that game at all. So I I, I think what I want in an Assassin's Creed game isn't really all that valuable. But I will say, I would super be I would be totally down to turn my attention towards Assassin's Creed again if they went the feudal Japan route, yeah. which is actually kind of frustrating because that was such an obvious next step for Assassin's Creed for, like, years now. <laughs> but now they're just kind of late to the party now that Ghost of Tsushima and Sekiro are just in the public consciousness. It's a little uh, it's a little frustrating. Yeah, I, I feel like there's a conflict, a, a creative conflict there, too, because at least on PlayStation with Ghost of Tsushima being kind of the feudal Japan situation, and then even if the Ragnarok sort of um, rumors are true, that also conflicts with God of War. So... There's, I mean, not that, you know, Sony's the only people that are allowed to 
to explore these things, but it just it probably lessens the blow a little bit on Sony platforms anyway. But I don't know. I think it's cool. I'm not an Assassin's Creed fan. In fact, the, the direction Assassin's Creed is going in in terms of making the games bulbous at this point is just a total turnoff to me because at least you had these more manageable open world ish 20 hour games back in the day, like Assassin's Creed 2. Yeah. I'm just not really into like playing these games that take forever. But I know that Assassin's Creed Odyssey was obviously a really huge hit for them. And yeah, I think, you know, it was so cool for them to put to take place or to have a game like Assassin's Creed 3 take place in the American Revolution and in that period, because that period is so rife with interest for me personally. But that was obviously considered one of the worst Assassin's Creed games. So that was a really unfortunate situation. But uh, the two situ- the two Assassin's Creed, like, um, I guess, settings that I would like to see. One is the American Civil War, which I think would be fascinating, uh, especially if you played on the Confederate side. I think that would be totally bold and totally challenging for people. And the other would be uh, World War II, especially something that took place in Nazi Germany. Almost consider something like um, a game you love, like the Saboteur. Yeah. And how cool that would be if you played an Assassin's Creed game in Nazi occupied Paris or uh, Nazi occupied the Netherlands. or That, Nazi, sounds, that sounds awesome. Yeah, that would be cool. I would yeah. like that a lot. So but I, I don't know. I don't know enough about Assassin's Creed to really know where the story is being begged to be taken. And obviously Norse lore. I went to Iceland once and it was really it was really an interesting place from the historic standpoint. It's just so old and there's, it's so interesting. So obviously taking that to Scandinavia would be really neat. So uh, we'll see, Gavin, what comes of it. I think we'll find out more soon. A lot of conjecture that maybe Ubisoft will show that at the PS5 reveal. So we'll find out. Now, let's get into some of these other random inquiries before we move on. Yeah. Matt Tamer wrote into us, Chris, he said, been having trouble focusing and being productive lately. Could you guys share your strategies for getting shit done? Chris, what are your strategies for working? I, man, I'm the worst person to be taken. <laughs> like, I, I cannot give advice on this. I am literally a crazy person. Oh, okay. I, I, I feel like I motivate my myself in, like, the most blatantly cumbersome ways. Like, uh, I think this is literally true. I think, like, when I was making the first, when I was making my first musical on YouTube, like, I did, I do these, like, musical things on YouTube, like, I did them a while ago, but the first one was, like, super big, and I told my friends that I'd been working on it for weeks, just because I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm working on this thing. I really wasn't, I was just trying to tell enough people that I was, so that if they could call me on it, I would feel pressured to actually make it. Oh, clever. Yeah. yeah. It's like, th- yeah, it's like, clever. uh, threatening myself via manipulation. That's I do a similar thing, but I do it on social media where I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. And then I announce it. And then I'm like, well, I have to do it now. Yeah, exactly. Because so. <laughs> otherwise you look like an asshole if you don't do it. Right. Exactly. Uh, well, very interesting. I think for me, I just get things done in in bits and pieces. I am falling behind on some of the things I need to do. I think I've been a little lazy with some of the stuff I need to do outside of the podcast lately just because I moved and, you know, some emotional trials and tribulations. I'm just kind of tired right now. But Uh, You have to just give yourself, I think, a schedule, whether it's mentally or whether you're writing it down. And then I think you have to give yourself like rewards and perks for getting those things done. Don't overwork yourself if you don't have to spread things out as much as you can. And just don't procrastinate. I I think procrastination is really just it creates some people think it creates better work. And I understand that rationale, but I don't really believe that. And uh, making things under pressure doesn't give you a lot of time to adjust or think. So uh, do that. And by the way, Matt, and I'm not. I'm not one of these like you should over medicate yourself. But if you're having trouble focusing, that could be ADD or ADHD, too. So you might want to go maybe go see a doctor and just see maybe maybe you need to 
look into that as well. But I I don't know. You know, what do I know? I have a degree in American history. I am no doctor. You can call (laughs) me doctor if you want. I, I won't stop you from calling me doctor, but I'm not a doctor. Hunter Holiday wrote into us and said, hey, cantankerous Colin and consensual Chris. My brother told me the other day that Friends is better than Seinfeld. Should I kill him? Weigh the pros and cons <laughs> with me. Okay. So he wants us to weigh the pros and cons of him killing his brother. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I would say maybe uh, I feel like we don't really need that kind of heat on the yeah. show. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. You know, maybe blame uh, some other podcast uh, for that, you know. Yeah, I think generally speaking, Hunter, I really discourage people from killing anyone for any reason. So don't, you know, think about not doing that. How, you know, have a have a decent conversation with him about why he's wrong. Yeah, about why he's objectively. Yeah, he's objectively wrong, I think. Yeah. I mean, there's no I mean, the thing about Friends. So here's the thing about Friends is that it's, it's a good show. It's funny, but. It came after Seinfeld. It was literally on after Seinfeld in the Thursday night time slot uh, in the 90s when Seinfeld was on NBC. And so it always suffered, in my opinion, from just being compared to the show naturally because Seinfeld is better than pretty much everything. I mean, there are only a few comedies in my mind, like I Love Lucy, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Curb Your Enthusiasm. These are the only shows that are anywhere in the stratosphere of Seinfeld in terms of comedy. And so, uh, you know, don't kill anyone. The the cons far outweigh the pros. And speaking of cons, you'll be a con for life if you do it. So just yeah, just consider that, Hunter. Take it easy. That's some good wordplay there. That was good. Oh, thank you. Mitchell Masaryk wrote in and said, what's more demoralizing when a restaurant has Pepsi or when a restaurant has Hunt's ketchup? It's a good question. Yeah. Uh, now, I, now, Chris, I don't really and I'm one of these people. I don't find Pepsi very offensive. In fact, I don't really buy Pepsi what like for myself, but if someone has it or if like I go to a deli and they have a can like they have Coke and Pepsi, sometimes I'm like I'm kind of in a Pepsi mood and I'll get a can of Pepsi instead. How do you feel about that? I'll be honest, man. I not only do I not care about ketchup at all, I I drink so little soda and I've drank so little soda throughout my life that you could pour a can of Pepsi and a can of Coke into two cups and switch them around and I I would not be able to tell you which one is which. Interesting. Very interesting. I could tell you just by looking at them which one's Coke and which one's Yeah, Pepsi. I definitely could not. I have so little experience with soda. It's probably why you're not fat. Yeah, maybe. Like I am. So yeah, it is. Hunt's ketchup I have a little bit more of a problem with. I must be honest with you. I've long been a Hellman's mayonnaise guy. Like my entire life. I love Hellman's mayonnaise. Known as best mayonnaise, west of the Rockies, of course. And I have recently defected, now that I live in the South to duke's mayonnaise which is definitely better i gotta throw it out there definitely better than hellman's so i have defected it is i was telling my stepdad i was at we were eating dinner and i was making a sandwich and he's like wow this is like this is a major step yeah in your life and i was like yeah this is a defection the likes of which like benedict arnold you know betraying the continental army i mean this is a similar situation here with me so i gotta give a shout out to duke's mayonnaise it's excellent excellent stuff i just don't like ketchup man it's just i I don't get it really i mean do you like uh, so do you like tomatoes i mean yeah but i don't i i I don't like tomato syrup yeah i was gonna say because i mean that's not all there is to it of course i mean uh, you know it kind of is that's kind of it's kind of what it is it's like vinegar if you like vinegar it's a little vinegar in there well, and vinegar's d- garlic like, isn't vinegar like specifically an offensive thing like you smell yeah. it and you're like wow that's specifically terrible 
Yeah, vinegar's rough because it does smell like shit, but it's <laughs> but it's good to eat. I like it on like some salads and stuff, but yeah, it is it is pungent. Let's say that it's pungent. And oh. uh, yeah, so you're right. Maybe ketchup's tar- terrible, but I eat a lot of ketchup nonetheless. Josh Naylor wrote in and said, Chris, my dude, would you mind predicting an enslaved Odyssey to the West remastered and willing it into existence? Thanks, bud. Chris, <laughs> are you able to use your powers to do this for That's us? That's so funny because like the, during the last episode or I think the last uh, the, the last plus episode. When we were talking about our backlogs, I was looking at my game shelf and I saw Enslaved Odyssey to the West and I was like, damn, I never finished that game and I really liked it. It's a really, a really pretty game. Yeah, super good looking game. I mean, probably not now, but but at the time it was like super pretty. I don't think I could predict that with confidence. And at this point, I have a pretty good streak here. I have a pretty good prediction streak and I don't want to ruin it right. by saying, oh, Enslaved. You know, I, yeah. I feel like I'm already like out of my ballpark with like Legacy of Kane. We'll see how that goes. But uh, this is uh, this is one that I would like to at least see like maybe an up-res. I, I, you're not going to get a remaster of it, though, for sure. I, I would be I would be fucking shocked into the stratosphere if that happened. shocked and shocked and awed. Yeah. As George W. Bush might say. Now, I'm with you here. It's so for people that are unaware, Enslaved Odyssey to the West came out in the fall of 2010 on PS3 360. I think it was on PC too. It was developed by Ninja Theory, the British studio, and published by Bandai Namco. And it's an action adventure game, like a post-apocalyptic action adventure game. It's it's really interesting and it was really stylish. But uh, for multiple reasons, I think Chris protecting the sanctity of his predictions and his willing things into existence is wise because number one, Ninja Theory is now owned by Microsoft, so they're not going to be able to to make that with Bandai Namco anymore. And then Bandai Namco might not want to go with another studio since they own the IP. And two, there was a sequel that they did want to do and, it, and the game didn't sell well enough to warrant the sequel. So I think that it is safe to assume Enslaved Odyssey to the West Remastered, probably not going to happen. Sequel, certainly not going to happen. But uh, nice throwback there, Josh. It would be real, wouldn't it be nice to play Enslaved Odyssey to the West on your PS5? That would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be. Finally, Chris, before we get into what we're playing, it's like 45 minutes into the show. Cole Hink wrote in and said, hey, Crispy Colin and Crunchy Chris, I recently had somebody flip the casual slash hardcore gamer conversation backwards. What I mean by this is I consider myself a hardcore gamer. I play hundreds of games, as I've bragged before, my 143 Platinums. No big drama. But they said someone who plays Dota or one multiplayer game for hundreds of hours or more is a, is a hardcore gamer or more hardcore, I'm sorry, than I am because they become an expert at one game while I continue to play every game and not become an expert with one. I was just curious about your guys' thoughts on that. It's an interesting question from Cole Hink here today. Chris, is it more hardcore to play one game like Dota for many hours, or is it more hardcore to kind of play and beat a menagerie of games across a calendar year, let's say? My instincts are telling me that like it, it definitely is far more hardcore to dedicate yourself to one game and forego literally every other experience for the sake of being a complete like god at that one thing. That's just how it seems to me. But you could also argue that, like, are you a hardcore movie guy because you've only watched one movie and you only watch one movie constantly? Like, I wouldn't say that that makes you a hardcore movie guy. I would say that makes you a hardcore, you know, Doom guy or a hardcore whatever uh, or a hardcore Final Fantasy guy or a hardcore whatever game that is guy. Right. I I, I wouldn't say that makes you like more of a hardcore (laughs) gamer, which is already just a strange designation. 
Yeah, I kind of equate this to like chess for chess is a game I really love. I, I think it's better than any video game. I love chess. I love playing chess. But if you're a, a grandmaster at chess, you're not a grandmaster at board games or war games. You're a master at chess as opposed to being someone who's like really into, you know, like one of those nerds that buys like all of these tabletop games and plays all of them. You have like this more wide ranging experience doing that. Then I, I, I feel like you're just describing two different things. Yeah. Which is basically what you're saying. So um, I think both have hardcore tendencies. I couldn't imagine spending all my time playing one game. I think I would rather jump off of a cliff than play. And I I think I would rather certainly jump off of a cliff than play Dota ever. Just ever. Yeah, I'm, I'm really not into into Dota. I would say, can't, though, that I, I, I think I personally would say that I've become a pretty adept, if not expert player, of at least like a handful of games, which is far better than being like an expert at one, I think. Sure. Yeah, it is. It is interesting because as you're really good at Halo, for instance, and some of these other games crash team and crash, right? Another one. And these games, especially with Halo, constantly evolving, constantly drawing more players in. And there are also a bunch of seasoned players like you. So to be able to kind of like compete at that level is actually really impressive. I'm not talented at any multiplayer game, really. I don't think I think maybe The Last of Us was like the game I was best at where I could probably do like four to one kill to death ratio or something like that. Yeah. When I was like at my best, which I don't think is even that impressive on that game. But if I like jump on a call of duty once in a while when I was younger and play, I would be lucky to get out like a one to one, maybe and probably even less than that. So <laughs> I'm just not very good. But the games I'm really, really talented at are single player, old single player games. So whether you're talking about like, sure. Something like Miss Pac-Man or something like Mega Man or whatever the case may be. Miss Pac-Man is so good. Oh, I love it. I love it. I've been playing it with my mom a little bit on PS4. There's a PS4 version of the game with a Platinum trophy. The Platinum's really hard to get because you have to do all sorts of fucking nonsense in it. But, yeah. uh, but a nice port because it's not like stretching the screen out or whatever. It's got that really weird arcade dimension, like that yeah, long screen yeah. arcade dimension. That's, which that's is cool, but I feel like Pac-Man will always suffer not being played with a joystick. That's what my mom said. You sound just like my mom. That's what my mom was saying, too, because she's like, it's actually kind of cute because she's holding like the the analog stick, like a joy, like a joystick. Oh, that's, and that's, I'm like, that's pretty cute. Yeah. I'm like, Mom, you got to you got to use your thumb. <laughs> All right, Chris, let's get into what we're playing. You have two games listed. Talk to me about them. Yeah. I mean, I'm still going through Sekiro. I've, I've reached a point where I'm in a lot of pain, but I'm dedicated. Fair enough. And I'm uh, the Outer Worlds. I'm starting again. I, I realize that I have to start it back up again, but I haven't really gotten back into it. What I've done is I've built my character. I have that character's attributes and everything on a sheet of paper that I have written. It's on wow. top of my PlayStation. That's Just nerdy. so I can understand what my mindset was in building that character. And then I can finish Sekiro and then jump back into Outer Worlds and then understand what the hell I was trying to do without having to you know, parse through my incredibly short-term memory. Yeah, that's actually, that's incredibly nerdy, but it's actually really smart and something that I wish I did because as we've said ad nauseum now, I'm going to have to start this fucking game again and that really annoys me so much. It's to the point where I'm probably not going to play The Outer Worlds for years now because I'm just like, <laughs> you know, because now it's going to be like, I can't, I can't yeah, do this. Yeah, it's so sad. It sucks until like I just totally forget what I was even doing. Okay, well, that's interesting. I've been playing Dragon Quest Heroes. I have nothing really more to say about that, but also Dragon Quest Eleven. I began re restarted, I should say. Uh, last night, I just played it for like an hour just to kind of get into the, to the opening, get past the, the op excuse me, I'm burping, the opening uh, segment, the opening tutorial and all of that. I'm really trying to gird my loins for the weebishness that I'm about to 
encounter in this game. <laughs> and oh, uh, we'll see how it goes. You can handle it. I'm excited. I love Dragon Quest. And I, I really love that world and that environment and the art and, and the monsters and all of that. And it's a game I have to play. And as I said, as I proclaimed so confidently, I want to do a JRPG every month this year. So uh, this is the one I'm going to be doing. And hopefully we'll finish it by the end of the month. It's a hundred hour platinum or so. I'm confident that I can do it. It's not hard. It's just time consuming. Uh, so yeah, we'll have more updates on all those games and more. And obviously games are going to start rolling out soon too, particularly in February and March. Uh, I, like I was thinking with March, for instance, is I think uh, like Final Fantasy VII Remake will be my JRPG for that month. So yeah. it's kind of like, you know, kill two birds with one stone situation. Juan Paulini wrote into us, though, and he said, hey, Crowland and Sis, have you ever been turned off from a game because of the devs' actions or beliefs? Disco Elysium was supposedly one of the best games of last year, and I was hoping to check it out. However, when you, and he's talking about me, pointed out that they thanked Marks and Engels in their speech at the Game Awards, I can in good conscience bring myself to support the game. Given the situation my home country of Venezuela is going through, where Marxism plays a strong part, it just feels wrong. Has something similar happened to either of you? Have a great day, and please don't fuck that chicken. Leave it be. All right, well, I'll consider that uh, advice. It's always funny, Chris, that the people that love communism never lived under it, and the people that hate communism and uh, these hardcore versions of socialism uh, all hate it. It's very interesting. Uh, so thank you for writing into us, Juan. Chris, has you or has, have you ever encountered a situation like this? Because I am encountering a very similar situation with this game. It's like something that's like really difficult for me to overcome, even though I know that this game is supposed to be really good. And I just have a problem with someone making a, a, a marketable good that or a team making a marketable good that they are they put on the market, they make money through the capitalist system, and then they literally have a portrait of Stalin, Stalin in their office. Stalin. Not even Lenin, not even Marx, Stalin, who is a mass murderer and a tyrant in their office. And it's something that's really hard for me to overcome. And I think that they're massive hypocrites. It's just really difficult for me to overcome that. And I don't know where I stand with this game, but I'm wondering how you feel about this and other situations. Yeah, I, I, I guess that's fair. It's always been my opinion personally that the the overall quality of a game and whether or not it appeals to my personal sensibilities as a player are the only real factors that determine whether or not I'm going to play it. I'm not really sure if I care what Ken Levine's politics are or what Neil Druckmann's politics are. All I know is that these people make really quality games and I'm definitely going to play them, whether they support, I don't know, infinite Iraq, infinite war in Iraq, or if they support like the abolishment of private property. Like I don't really, and I think I think that way because I would want people to view the content that I make, be it my videos or music or whatever, in such a way that they'd be able to find value in it, even if they disagree with what I think politically. And I, you know, I, I think you have a right not to support a dev based on opinions that some on the team might have or based on opinions that the entire team might have. Um, and I might have a line somewhere too that I wouldn't want a dev to cross that I maybe personally haven't found that line yet in any dev, but I, I feel like even if I did, I'd feel hypocritical writing off a game for the opinions of the devs while maybe criticizing people for writing off my content or even our show just because they perceive us to be of a certain political persuasion. But that's that's pretty much it. I don't know. Yeah, I think, I mean, you make it, 
it makes sense. And you it's an interesting point. But I just think that there are levels of degrees like people can write us off for our political opinions, but neither of our opinions in any respect are outside of the mainstream. So for sure, for for me to, you know, for so for someone to be like, I'm a democratic socialist or whatever, or I'm a Scandinavian socialist. It's like, well, OK, that's fine. I don't I don't care. It's not something I really agree with, but I don't mind. But when you have a portrait of Stalin in your office who, yeah. you know, that makes to me, that makes you an extremist. And to see you on stage accepting awards through a capitalistic capitalistic system and then thank Marx and Engels. Like, I, I don't really quite understand that. I mm-hmm. think that these systems are enemies to our way of life. And I just find it hypocritical to kind of want your cake and eat it, too, in that respect. So oh, I'm not sure, totally yeah. I'm not totally writing off Disco Elysium because I really do want to play it. And I do want to get over that hump. And there are levels of degrees and maybe it's not as extreme as I'm thinking. Like Motion Twin, the French studio that made uh, Dead Cells, is a co- like basically a commune. They're basically an, a, 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 an employee owned company. And that's totally something I'm against. I don't think that that's a functioning way to run a company, but I played their game and I like their game and I don't hold anything against them because that's their choice. They're not extremists. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like with this, like either you're like a troll, like an internet troll, because you have like having a portrait of Stalin to me is, this, is really the equivalent of having a portrait of Hitler. It, it's the yeah. same thing. It's really the same. Fucking I mean, he, thing. I mean, he literally is a murderer. <laughs> so, so I, yeah. I just found that weird. I just found it weird. And you know, what come to, what comes to mind to me is, and I'm not equating sexual crimes to these people or anything. I, I want to be really clear about that, but uh, I used to really love a band called lost profits, which was a Welsh rock band. And their lead singer was accused and um, tried and convicted of really heinous sex crimes. Yeah. Really heinous. And like against like children and babies and shit like that. And that was seven million bridges too far for me. And I just can't even listen to one iota of their music anymore. You know, like it's just so sometimes and it's the same thing going with Bill Cosby now. Where it's like, I don't know. I I used to love the Cosby show. It was like a really important show to me when I was a kid. And and it's like, this is unwatchable. You know, like, I I just can't watch this now. So I think that people have to take it as they come and make their decisions. Obviously, I'm in the minority on Disco Elysium. But sometimes you have to kind of stick a flag in the ground and be like, this is not. Yeah, this is not cool. Yeah, for sure. I think everybody has their line. I just think where I'm at, I just my line is maybe just a little bit, just a tad further. Like, honestly, You could have <laughs> you could have a picture of whoever the fuck you want in your office. I don't give a shit. Your game better be damn good, though. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. I, th- Chris has a picture of uh, me in his office, which is not <laughs> offensive at all. Yeah. All right, Chris. Well, that was an interesting conversation. Let's get into the news. There's not incredible amounts of massive consequence this week as we are kind of in a wait and see approach. Uh, but we will get through everything that is relevant to our audience Uh, Starting with number one, Media Molecule's dreams has officially gone gold, meaning that core development is finally finished and is ready for certification printing and publishing. The news comes by way of Media Molecule's official Twitter account, which published the news along with a picture of the team with the gold master disc. Dreams entered early access on PS4 nearly a year ago and will be available to everyone on February 14th next month. If you bought it in early access, you'll get it for free. Otherwise, the game will cost $39.99 either on disc or digitally. Media Molecule is a Sony-owned studio best known for Little Big Planet. It's been more than nine years since their last AAA game, Little Big Planet 2, came to PS3. The original Little Big Planet came to PS3 in 2008, and the studio also released Tearaway on Vita in 2013, though it was created by a small team incubated within the larger studio structure. Uh, Chris, can you believe it? Yeah, I guess, because it's an early access game and they really don't even have to... The game doesn't even really have to be finished. 
to go gold before it releases because they could just keep patching it. Right. And this game, I assume, will just continue to be updated for many years to come. Yeah. As well. It was exciting to see. You know, I saw the joy in their faces holding the gold master disc on the tweet. People can go check it out on Media Molecule's Twitter account. I'm sure it's on their other social media accounts, too. I'm happy for them that they, they got the game out. And now we can really set my hypothesis into motion. And uh, I hope I'm wrong. I really, yeah. really hope I'm wrong about this game. I would love to be wrong. I, lo- I would love for this game to murder at retail and on digital. Uh, but I just have a bad feeling about this game. Really bad yeah. feeling. Like people always send me these things or not always, but often send me these things like, look how good this looks and look how great this looks on dreams. And I'm like, this is cool. This is a the big thing that I was making the rounds recently was someone made like an English breakfast. I don't know <laughs> if you saw that. Right. It was like this really like photorealistic eggs and it's, you know, potatoes or whatever the case might be and i'm like wow that's great like who cares you know i'm not i'm not trying to be a dick but like this is this is the selling point yeah for the, i'm just really i'm really concerned i'm like cool they made a photorealistic breakfast sounds exciting definitely want to spend 40 dollars on that so wishing our best to media molecule would love to be wrong and know there's a big contingent of our audience that's excited about it so you guys will have to keep us abreast because i'm certainly not going to play it again yeah i definitely think it's it's designed for a far different, a far more varied audience than maybe the typical video game. I, I don't really think that this is aiming for gamer audiences, but the problem is like they're not really marketing it in that way either. And they're not really making any effort to push this into the field of view of anybody who might be, you know, I, you know like I haven't seen this advertised in like art circles or anything. So like I just don't know what I just don't know what they're doing. Yeah, if you I mean if you're a dev for instance, you have workable engines already, so you don't need dreams. And if you're a gamer, you know about dreams, but you might not be interested in it. And then if you're not a gamer, you're never going to learn about dreams. So it's a it's an interesting sort of yeah. thing. I just I caution that particular approach just because there have been massive casual hits in video games from carnival games on Wii to Wii Fit, which was a massive hit and all that, but these hits are ephemeral. And they don't last. And in fact, they like poison the well for a lot of games coming after them that try to do the same thing. So I don't know. We'll see how it all turns out. But I am not confident. Watch it like completely destroy. And then we seem like idiots for like (laughs) for like railing against it for several months. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to. I mean, I'm going to one going to be the one that seems like or is the idiot in that case. But I just I'm not seeing it. I mean, I just don't see it. And I, I don't I just can't imagine I'm going to be wrong about this, but we'll see. The price point certainly is right. Well, if yeah. anything, well, let's just be nice about it. They, they, they went gold. Let's be yeah. positive. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Again, you're absolutely right. I, I wish them the very best. It's not their fault that they've been this mismanaged. I'll say that. Yeah. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard 
just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Number two, the Batman related teases are continuing unabated from WB Montreal, which released another obscure black and white image on its various social media channels. The image is in the form of a crest with an eagle like bird along the top of the circular design with two swords crossed on the bottom with scales and olive branches spreading out from there. It's all but confirmed that this is for a new Batman game, apparently titled Batman Arkham Legacy, though we have no concrete word from either the developer or Warner Brothers, the game's publisher and the owner of the studio making the game. WB Montreal is a 10-year-old studio in Quebec best known for its 2013 game Batman Arkham Origins, the third Arkham game that's been long looked at as the black sheep of the larger series, which is mostly occupied by Rocksteady-developed games Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, and Arkham Knight, which launched in 2009, 2011, and 2015, respectively. We also don't have word on what Rocksteady is doing, though these teases seem to indicate what's long been rumored, that they're making a Justice League game or something else from the DC Universe. Have you seen this uh, recent tease from WB Montreal? I have not. They're getting a little, uh, a little, I don't want to say a little heavy handed. It's kind of interesting just because I don't know what the point of teasing your game like this is when you're not really considered the marquee Batman studio. I would rather them take that title, seize that title from Rocksteady by having a really robust trailer as opposed to obscurely teasing this stuff out and then maybe letting people down. I think it's a dangerous way to play the game. But yeah. Clearly they disagree. No, so. yeah, I, I would agree. I think, uh, so what is it like? It's just like teasing the court of owls, I guess. Yeah. Whatever that, I mean, whatever that is, that's what I was reading, but I don't pretend to know what that is. So yeah, I don't know. I always felt bad for them. Uh, WB Montreal because Arkham origins was supposed to be, I, it's actually the one Arkham game I didn't play, but it was supposed to be really good. And they were always kind of outcast. Like I always got really upset when Rocksteady would be like the Arkham trilogy, the Arkham trilogy. And it's like, there is an it's why are you being dickheads? You know, it's like, it's a, there's a fourth Arkham game that someone else made that people, you know, I always felt like it was a little, maybe I'm a little sensitive, but I was like, that kind of probably hurts some people's feelings, you know, like, Oh, our game doesn't count. We, we didn't make it an Arkham game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a prequel and there is a trilogy and in order to have a prequel, you have to have some form of established. So I think they understand like what they what they made wasn't necessarily part of the trilogy. Yeah, it seemed like BT. I, I, it seemed like they were relegated to B team stuff. And yeah, I was always I, what I was confused about that is Chris or why I was confused about that was simply why WBPR would let Rocksteady do that because you're kind of outcasting a game you paid for and published. Like, you just think you'd want to be more inclusive from the PR standpoint, just to be like, they're all Arkham games. And I understand that, you know, maybe Rocksteady's not super into that. And Rocksteady kind of created this series that then their coattails were ridden a little bit. No doubt about that. But again, it's it, it, it kind of at this time put me off from playing Arkham Origins. Is Arkham, I have to look into this, is Origins on, I know that they release Asylum and City 
Origins wasn't in that PS4 collection, right? That's just been left behind. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think so. I think that I think it was just the uh, just City and Asylum. Well, those are great games. Arkham Asylum is still my favorite one. It's so a great. It's, really, yeah, it's a great video game. Perfect length. That is still probably like a really great game. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. I really uh, seminal game. You know the the three. Not that it was the first of its kind, because I think Metroid Prime and others did this, but. You know, the 3D Metroidvania, and I just loved the length of it. I loved the the production value and the characters and the darkness. And I don't know. There was a lot to love. I'm not I'm, I like Batman. I'm not I, I consider myself a Batman fan, but very casual. Obviously, I don't know what the this night yeah. of or this court of owls is. So, you know, obviously, I don't know. Anything yeah, it's about it's those games are really cool and really special, even though Batman flies across the screen in ways that are just not not feasible. In any conceivable way. <laughs> Arkham City to me was like too big. That's it, it kind of put me off. Like I was like, ah, this is too much. Oh, but it's too so much cool Batman. to just finally have a Batman game where you can glide across the city like Batman, though. Yeah, that's, that's the true. thing that people really wanted out of that game, I think. Yeah, they opened it up. They busted it open. I don't blame them. Chris, number three, multiple sources have relayed surprising word. That Japanese developer Platinum Games has received an investment from Chinese gaming conglomerate Tencent, though the terms of the deal have yet to be revealed and may never be as Platinum remains privately held. Platinum CEO stated in a brief quote that the investment quote has no effect on the independence of our company and we will continue operations under our current corporate structure, end quote. The main driver of this investment apparently is to give Platinum the resources necessary to begin self-publishing its games, as the developer has long been reliant on both Sega and Nintendo since the studio was founded in 2007. Platinum Games is best known for its Bayonetta series created with Sega and Nintendo, its Star Fox games made with Nintendo, Square Enix's Nier Automata, and others, and has gained significant traction in the past few years after making well-regarded but moderately selling games for the first decade of its existence. Tencent is a Chinese mega company that employs more than 50,000 people and owns 5% of Activision Blizzard, 5% of Ubisoft, 5% of Paradox, 40% of Epic Games, 85% of Supercell, and all of Riot Games, among other investments. Uh, I don't like this. I'm curious what you think of it, Chris. No, it's uh, it's it's creepy. It's it's creepy. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of just random sh- shadowy foreign money just coming in with no seemingly no strings attached. Like, really? I don't know. Yeah, I don't get it. I, I don't know. I'm, I'd be interested to know how much of the company they now own, because that was obviously left out. And since they're not publicly traded like the other companies that I mentioned, there's no need for anyone. Well, Riot isn't anymore, but there's no need for anyone to to know that they don't have to disclose that information. But it's interesting that Platinum couldn't have found that money somewhere else. I mean, it seems like Platinum has so much goodwill right now that you could have gone to a less shadow, less shadowy, less communist company to get your money. And I don't know. It just seems like these guys, Tencent just has so many, so many, you know, f- uh, what do they say? Uh, forks in the uh, or irons in the fire, rather. Yeah. Uh, with all these different companies, it's just I don't know. It's just worrying because what does this mean? It's fine that the Chinese want to get involved in in Western gaming. And we've long discussed how Sony is really trying to facilitate Chinese developed games on PlayStation, which is awesome. It's not about the Chinese themselves. It's about the nature of the money and what cost comes with associating with these companies. And, uh, you know, with Epic Games, for instance, with the Epic Games Store, I know a lot of people are worried about like, well, what is what kind of data is being sent to Tencent from the Epic Games Store? And are they putting, you know, spyware on people's company or on people's computers and stuff. I, I think those are legitimate concerns with these shadowy companies. And 
so I get worried about any of this money being put in to any and, and these, you know, Platinum's an Eastern company, so it's not a Western company, but, you know, they're they're ostensibly a Western company. So I don't like it, but there's nothing we can do about it. It's not, yeah, it's not fun. I, I, I would love to know what the percentage uh, exchange was. It's cool that they want to publish their own games. I don't blame them because they do make all of these great games for others, and it probably sucks to have to do that. So yeah. they can finally hold on to their IP. I don't know. I'd have to look into it. Bayonetta... I think is controlled still by Platinum because Sega published the first one. They're republishing it on PS4, but Nintendo published the second and, and, and the third one. So I don't know. Maybe they don't, maybe they want to control Bayonetta and these other, maybe we'll get another Vanquish. That'd oh, be that'd nice. be sick. Vanquish is also coming out soon on PS4, which is exciting. <laughs> so good. Oh, I can't wait. Number four. It seems Capcom is feeling very, very confident about Resident Evil 3 remake. Multiple English language sources have reported on an interview given in the famed Japanese gaming publication Famitsu in which the game's dueling producers, Masao Kawada and Peter Fabiano, note that the game is about 90% complete, that it's still slated to come out on April 3rd, and that they guarantee there will be no delay, meaning they completely intend on hitting that date. As earlier reported and discussed on this podcast and as reiterated in this interview, Capcom vows that Resident Evil 3 will walk away from the original's path much more substantially than the beloved Resident Evil 2 remake did from its respective muse. And website Push Square relays even more information from the official PlayStation magazine confirming that RE3's mercenary mode has been entirely replaced by Project Resistance, RE3's new multiplayer functionality. The game's multiple endings have also been cut with the removal of some player agency, though Resident Evil 3's version of Raccoon City is apparently a little more open worldish, allowing for more non-linearity. The original Resident Evil 3 called Resident Evil 3 Nemesis launched on PS1 in 1999 and later came the Dreamcast in 2000 and GameCube in 2003. I'm a little skeptical about the changes that they're making to this. I wonder why they're doing it that way. I just sounded like Peter Brady there. I wonder yeah. why they're doing it that way, where they're kind of getting rid of some of these hallmarks, like the multiple endings and some of the choices. I think one of the things they were talking about is like when you fight Nemesis or find Nemesis in the game, you have the option to run away or fight. I think those have been removed. So I, I, I guess they're bringing it in their own direction. I guess we, we'd also be foolish to not be confident in what they're doing, considering how good Resident Evil 2 remake was. Are you excited about Resident Evil 3 remake, Chris? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. This is the one that I actually played back in the day. I actually did finish this one. I don't necessarily regard it so heavily to the point where, like, I would be opposed to them changing anything. I think, if anything, it's a PS1 game, and I'm I'm totally down for any kinds of quality of life changes or any kind of things that they think would make the game better from a modern lens. And, like, what they did with Resident Evil 2, all of the minor changes that they made were all super, super good. So I, I have pretty... Have a pretty good level of confidence. I don't remember what the mercenary mode was, though. Like, what was that? It was like, I don't remember it either. It was like, so, I, as I recall, you had to unlock it by beating the game. And then it might have been some like smaller bite sized mode, I think, like a mini game. Um, so I don't know if it's really it, it missing is really that big of a deal. But uh, nonetheless, the Capcom Renaissance continues unabated. And until otherwise, uh, until they show us otherwise, I'm going to be confident in pretty much anything they release. The, I yeah. mean, the last game I played of theirs that I didn't like was Mega Man 11, ironically. So <laughs> it's it is crazy. I, I'm just so confident in Capcom now, which is such a nice feeling to to have. Yeah, it's nice to have him back back in the fold. 
Number five, Sony has revealed the most downloaded games on the PlayStation Network for the entirety of 2019. These lists represent numbers of downloads and not necessarily monies made, but doesn't include PlayStation Plus downloads. The 20 most downloaded PS4 games on PSN for the calendar year 2019 were in order. Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Minecraft, NBA 2K19, Grand Theft Auto V, NBA 2K20, Rainbow Six Siege, Madden NFL 20, Star Wars Battlefront 2, The Division 2, Days Gone, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, Borderlands 3, MLB 19 The Show, World War Z, God of War, Mortal Kombat 11, Rocket League, The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, The Forest, and Spider-Man. PSVR's top 10 most downloaded games for the year were in order Beat Saber, Super Hot VR, Skyrim VR, Five Nights at Freddy's VR Help Wanted, Job Simulator, Creed, Rise to Glory, Borderlands 2 VR, Firewall Zero Hour, Blood and Truth, and PlayStation VR Worlds. The top 10 most downloaded free-to-play games for the year were in order Apex Legends, Fortnite, Dauntless, Realm Royale, Brawlhalla, Warface Life, uh, Warface Life, Don't Even Think, Warframe, H1Z1 Battle Royale, and 3-on-3 Freestyle. All 10 of the most downloaded DLC packs and expansions were Fortnite related. Uh, very, very interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Good Lord. It's cool to see Witcher 3 up there. Yeah, very Not nice. Surprising. They had a little, yeah. They had a little bit of a, a rebound with the, the anticipation for the Netflix series, I think. Yeah. Also just a really good game. I was really taken that NBA 2K19, number three, NBA 2K20, number five, which is pretty interesting. Also, Rainbow Six Siege continues to cruise. Uh, MLB 19, the show is on there, so it can't be understated that Sony kind of giving up the exclusivity on that starting in 2021 is a big deal. I'll be interested to see how that affects the sales on PlayStation in particular. And World War Z, I had no idea that World War Z was so popular. Yeah, what so, the hell is that? Like, Because I, I remember I played it back uh, really like way back when. I think back when it came out, I played it on the Epic Store. And I did, I did like it. I just sort of fell off it, but I, I guess... I guess it's kind of recapturing the kind of uh, Left 4 Dead experience from from back when that game was like all over the place because I definitely didn't expect that game to show up anywhere on this. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. And the most peculiar game, Chris, of course, on the list is The Forest. I have no idea how that made the list at number yeah, 19. Wow. Uh, that game looks awesome. Uh, doesn't play so awesome. Well, then you just answered your question. Yeah, I guess that. Yeah, there you go. I mean, I bought it without even <laughs> yeah. looking at anything, so... Guess I'm one of the one of the fools, although I know people like it. I'm not trying to be mean. Number six, the much anticipated sequel to 2017's Neo, Neo 2, is coming exclusively to PS4 on March 13th, just a little later this year. And according to a brief write up on the official PlayStation blog, developer Team Ninja and publisher Koei Tecmo are making some last minute adjustments to the game in response to feedback given via last year's closed alpha and open beta. The major piece of feedback the dev-publisher combo got, surprisingly, is about the game's difficulty level, which is strange since the original Neo is renowned for how hard it is. The game's creative director notes in part, quote, In order to address some of the portions that felt unreasonably difficult, we will be adjusting the balance for all yokai actions and strengthening several of the special moves and making them more manageable to use. There will be modifications made to control the level of punishments in the Dark Realm, such as adding merits where the maximum key damage is increased against enemy yokai, as well as the overall management of the player's key will be refined. These are just a few of the many improvements we are making, as we will also uh, expand and improve the tutorial elements, enhance the action and level designs, and additional settings to the character creation system, improve the UI, sound, online mode, and so much more, end quote. The PlayStation blog has a full list of changes and modifications that will be made in the lead up to the game going gold, which should be happening soon. 
this was surprising to me, Chris, because I thought this is what people wanted. And I guess the game is just too hard, which is a sh- which is shocking feedback. Yeah, actually. I I mean, I don't know. I, I never really played the original Neo. I think I touched it for like a second uh, before getting distracted by something else. But I think it's it is kind of shocking to see this game is too hard as a piece of criticism that they would use to alter it, given, you know, the pedigree of what Neo is. I wonder if I wonder if I just wonder if that's a good move or not, or maybe they're being a little bit too give the people what they want. Yeah, it seems like a cautious move. I guess what the, I guess their calculus is first of all, maybe they got that that feedback overwhelmingly. I mean, if you care about Neo two, then you're going to play the beta, yeah. or you were invited to the alpha. So maybe they just got this feedback so much that they're like, well, these are our people. And yeah. if they're upset about it, then certainly we need to do something about it. But yeah, I was just surprised by that. I don't know if it's good for the game or not. I guess it is. I'll, I'll leave that up to them. But um, yeah, I was a little surprised to read that just because I know that that's what the pedigree of the game is. But uh, I, I really want to get back to the original Neo. It would be really nice to have the time to do that. But uh, I'm not going to play Neo 2 until I do that. So it's probably going to be a game that's just going to go right on the backlog when it comes out. Number seven. After a years-long wait, episodic adventure series Kentucky Route Zero is finally coming to PlayStation 4 in the so-called TV edition, which will put out all five episodes of the game together into one package, along with interstitial episodes that were previously made available for free to PC players. While this was quietly announced a while ago, we now have full details about the release, as well as a launch date, January 28th. Kentucky Route Zero's first two episodes came out in 2013, its third in 2014, and its fourth in 2016. What makes this notable is that the TV edition comes to PS4 the same date the fifth and final episode comes to PC, so everyone can play the entirety of the game at the same time, if they desire. While the game was published by developer Cardboard Computer on PC, Annapurna is helping put the game on console, a studio notable for other big indie releases on console, including What Remains of Edith Finch. Chris, is this a game you are familiar with? At all. Uh, not super familiar with. I think I've. I think I read something about it. I. Uh, I don't know, man. Walking simulators and episodic games, they're just not my. It's just not my thing. Yeah, I'm not sure what the name. I've heard about this game so much, and I'm not sure what the nature of it is. It seems like it's more than your basic walking simulator. It's definitely an adventure game. The idea sounds pretty cool. That it's about like I guess this road underneath Kentucky or something and shit that happens on it. I don't I don't really know for sure, but it is interesting how long it's taken them to get this out. I mean, they haven't released they released the fourth episode in 2016 and the fifth episode won't come out until 2020. So they <laughs> they must have made enough money to make them really lazy or they wanted to really get it right or they refined things back in the past. But uh, it's pretty cool that it's all coming out day and date. I'm definitely going to check it out uh, yeah. when the time comes. And uh, shout out to Annapurna for bringing it out. Of course, the associated Annapurna Film studio, uh, same company. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, number eight, according to website Gamatsu, Japanese developer slash publisher Arc System Works is working on an interesting 2D action game called Code Shifter, whose major draw is that it includes a ton of playable characters from all sorts of Arc System developed games. Gamatsu's translation of the Japanese website notes that there are up to 100 characters to unlock in the game, and up to four players can play at one time. Franchises included in Code Shifter include Blazblue, or Blazblue, I like to call it Blazblue, Guilty <laughs> Gear, and River City, among others, and the game itself appears to be a Double Dragon-like depth of field brawler. It will launch in Japan first for about $20, and will come later to Western PS4s, as well as other consoles. This game looks super cool, I love the idea. You guys can go check out the Japanese trailer if you want. Really neat idea. 
Yeah, Arc System always makes good shit, I feel like. Yeah, they're really coming up. It's interesting. They're really becoming a bigger, much bigger company in the yeah. last couple of years, especially with their acquisition of the River City IP, which I think was owned by Technos uh, at one time. And number nine, the final wrap up website Gamatsu reports that retro platformer Infinite Beyond the Mind is coming to PS4 at some point in the second quarter of this year. And that upcoming Tales JRPG, Tales of Arise, has been rated for release in South Korea, indicating a much quicker release date than some have previously anticipated. Website Push Square reports that adventure game Mosaic is coming to PS4 on January 23rd. And that choice based action adventure game Disaster Report for Summer Memories is coming to PS4 on April 7th. Bethesda has announced substantial updates to its digital versions of Doom and Doom 2 on PS4, including running both games at 60 frames per second, quick saves, and mod support. Dodge Roll Games has announced uh, that its sequel to its roguelike shooter, Enter the Gungeon, aptly named Exit the Gungeon, is coming to PS4 later in 2020. And finally, website VG247 spread word of a posted and quickly deleted tweet from PlayStation Brazil, indicating that the eagerly anticipated Overwatch 2 is indeed coming to PS4 in 2020. We have no verification of that, but it seems like that tweet wasn't an accident. Uh, Chris, the interesting thing here, I was reading about Doom and Doom 2. Yeah. They, did you know they ran at 35 frames a second? I didn't know that. I <laughs> No, I, I didn't know that. In fact, that was the... That was the thing that I was reading while you were doing the read-up. The read-up that was just like what? Yeah, they they apparently have traditionally run at thirty-five frames, and now they run at sixty. Yeah, the quick save thing is really cool too. That actually makes me want to go play them because the games are so hard at the highest difficulty level that I would be quick saving left and right if I could, and now I can. Uh, so there is that. Now, Chris, as tradition dictates, next and we haven't done it in a few weeks. It's time for the drop uh, yeah. where we read our new game releases, and tradition does indeed dictate that you go first. Have fun. Yeah, it seems like, uh, really seems like I lose, no matter what I do here. Definitely. Atelier, Dusk Trilogy Deluxe Pack comes to PS4. The promise begins. A Dusk Era has fallen upon this world <laughs> many times, yet people have managed to survive and reclaim a meager livelihood thus far. Here, in a remote atelier... What, what is an Italian? What is that? There was a lone girl making her living by making medicine. Her name is Ayesha. Atelier Ayesha, the Alchemist of Dusk, comes to PS4, but it has the same exact thing Chris just read, so they just copied and pasted it. So I'll just move on to Atelier Esha and Logi, Alchemists of the Dusk Sky. Come, uh, DX comes to PS4. The promise is entrusted to two alchemists. This world has seen its fair share of twilights and is slowly nearing its end. Wow. Sounds uplifting. There exists a nation that has prospered through its use of alchemy, devoting their every effort to rediscovering the lost alchemic technologies of the past. Oh, how nice. That's nice. Uh, 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 oh, my God. Atelier <laughs> Shally? Shaley? God. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Atelier Shaley, uh, Alchemists of the Dusk Sea DX, comes to PS4. Water sources go dry, plants wither and die. All creatures thirst and starve. <laughs> <laughs> the blue oceans turn to sand and the, the life of the sea no longer has a place to call home. I don't, I don't really have a problem with that one. No, that sounds uh, great. Yeah. Yet still, the sun continues to shine, <laughs> mercilessly drying up what little water remains on Earth. Slowly but surely, everything fades away to nothing in this dusk world. And suddenly, I want to play this game. We were just talking. I think one of the last episodes, we were just talking about how everything we read tends to just be so... So dark and dreary. It's awesome. I love and this it. This might be the the most hopeless one I've ever read. I'm I'm suddenly gonna play this trilogy all the way through. I'm not going to. I I don't think I could do it. 
Darwin Project comes to PS4. Darwin Project is an outdoor futuristic battle royale style deathmatch with a strong emphasis on hunting, trapping, and survival. Not only will you be pitted against fierce rivals, but you'll compete for the favor of an all-seeing show director. Oh, okay. Creepy. Weird. Dragon Ball Z Kakarot comes to PS4. Relive the story of Goku and other Z fighters in Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. Beyond the epic battles, experience life in the Dragon Ball Z world as you fight, fish, eat, and train with Goku, (laughs) Gohan, Vegeta, and others. Explore new areas and adventures as you advance through the story and form powerful bonds with other heroes from the Dragon Ball Z universe. Vegeta. Vegeta. Yeah. I only know how to. I, I only got through this because I just watched so much of the show when I was a kid. Oh yeah, I, yeah, me too. I did too. Eclipse Edge of Light comes to PS4 and PSVR. Crash landed on a sentinel, a sentient planet. I'm sorry. Wait, no, sentient planet. Jesus, you awake to discover a dreamscape world filled with alien wonder and the remains of a betrayed civilization. You find a powerful relic that can interact with ancient technology and grant you near magical powers. Near magical. Can you rise to the challenge and solve the haunting riddle of this mysterious place? (laughs) Nope. Nope. Not me. Uh, Gravity Error comes to PS4. Gravity Error is a 2D puzzle platformer about changing gravity. Ah, That's straightforward. Guide Force in his what? Oh, Guide Force in I his guess Force is the yeah. Okay, so yeah, that's that's a little weird. Guide Force in his quest seeking emotional stableness <laughs> in a set of levels and avoid being crushed. <laughs> Solve the puzzles in multiple creative ways. All right, isn't it emotional stability? No, it's stableness. stableness? I mean, it's not coming up in our document as like a, I guess it is a word. Yeah, I mean, uh, gravity error, more like a grammarly error. Whoa, guide Whoa. force in his quest seeking emotional stableness. <laughs> Hardcore Mecha comes to PS4. Hardcore Mecha is a 2D platformer action focus. Okay, I don't know what that means. Focusing on a better handling. Shit. <laughs> the campaign mode offers rich gameplay and seamless in-game cutscenes for an immersive experience. Choose your favorite mecha and multiplayer. Experience the fast-paced, hardcore competitive battle of steel. <laughs> hardcore mecha is a 2D platformer action focusing on a better handling. <laughs> oh, my God. oh, I can't wait to write ours. It's going to be great. Uh, oh, my God. Mayetsu, pure station, comes to PS4. Uh, so, oh, my God. So Tetsu woke up, uh, woke up the railroad... Uh, Hakiroku. (laughs) So Tetsu woke up the railroad Hakiroku by accident and became her owner. For for different purposes, they agreed to help her find her lost locomotive. With the help of his stepsister Hibiki, the town's mayor and local railway chief Paulette. Paulette? And others. Dude, every time I get one of these where I just like, it's just full of Japanese shit that I just don't understand, I feel like I'm fighting for my life. That was a panicked state that I was in. I can tell. I'm, uh, that's why I love doing the drop. God. Red Bow comes to PS4 and Vita. Red Bow is a top-down creepy adventure game that sets players in the role of Ro, a young girl who gets trapped in a bizarre nightmare filled with creepy monsters. Ro finds herself trapped in a strange, dark nightmare world. <laughs> Help! You just said that. Help her realize what role she plays by exploring creepy environments. How many fucking times are you going to say the same thing? Creepy, creepy. A lot of creepy. Yeah, it's a creepy. Yeah, they said a creepy adventure who creepy gets monsters. trapped. Yeah, trapped in a bizarre nightmare filled with creepy monsters. Jesus Christ. Does anyone read this stuff? We're going to find out real soon. Seek Hearts 
comes to PS4. Set out on an adventure to discover Aizen's mysterious origins in a sci-fi RPG. With questions swirling about why he was created and by who, Aizen sets out on a journey to discover his origins. However, they said that too. They said that already. <laughs> however, <laughs> as he, uh, however, as he and those with him pursue answers to this mystery, they fall. Oh, they fail to notice a shadow creeping up upon them. You got through it. Yeah, I did. I managed. God. Super Mega Space Blaster Special Turbo comes to PS4. Love it. A modern take on the retro arcade shooter, Super Mega Space Blaster Special Turbo is a fast-paced, frantic blast of a shoot-em-up. And then it says shmup. Remember shump? <laughs> with, with loads to unlock and leaderboards to climb, blast your way through five unique game modes in this easy-to-play, hard-to-master Space Blaster. I, I was listening through some of our uh, some of our podcast episodes on the plane just to kill time, oh, and uh, I got to the shump part, and that's a that's a genuinely funny funny section of audio. Yeah, that that was that is good. We should cut that out. Yeah, track. Uh, what is this? Track track mayhem comes to PS4. Fly a spaceship inside and outside a hexagonal course in space. Move your ship left and right around the track or fly over to avoid crashing into obstacles. Collect coins and fire up a shield to blast ahead. Hit all the booster pads for extra speed and intensity. Track mayhem. All right. Without Escape is the final game comes to PS4 and Vita. Without Escape is a tribute to first-person graphic adventures of the early 90s with an interactive story told through pre-rendered backgrounds and full-motion video. Explore the confines of your own home as you flip between a mundane existence and a terrifying other world. Are you prepared to endure the horrors that await you? That's coming to Vita. Yeah, there it is. Yay! <laughs> uh, nothing I would recommend this week, but I don't know if you have any recommendations. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would. I'm curious about Dragon Ball Z, although I just don't understand how a, an RPG in that world would be fun, because it's a it's a universe where death has no consequence. Yeah, and where everyone uh, just fights for episodes at a time, screams. Yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, oh no, Krillin died, but we'll just find a dragon to take him to rip him away from his ghost realm <laughs> and bring him back to life. This Alchemist of the Dusk Sea sounds awesome. Oh, uh, sounds yeah. Cool. <laughs> It's like it's like the Col it's like Colin and Chris the game. It's yeah, I, I honestly can't believe that the first two games on this list have the same exact write up. Yeah, I that believe is, it. Uh, fascinating. Fucking a. All right, Chris. As tradition dictates, at the end we do six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience. Wrap things up. Get the hell out of here. Let's do it. Nick Eden wrote in and said, "Sup, my Italian meatball and my Spanish rice." Wow. With Witcher on Netflix making people go back to playing the game and with me watching The Sopranos for the first time, making me want to go replay Grand Theft Auto V, I want to know if there has been a time where you watched something that gave you the urge to want to play a game. Love you both to bunches. And then he says in little asterisks, kisses foreheads. I don't like that very much. Yeah. Uh, Chris, are, have you ever been inspired to go play a game by something you, you've watched on TV? I mean, this was something that was very common to me as a child. Obviously, you get really yeah, excited. Yeah, definitely more obvious ones. I think The Witcher is the most recent one for me, too. But I, I, I don't know. Like, I would watch, like, Saturday morning uh, for kids cartoons like X-Men and, like, sp the Spider-Man animated series, which uh, I don't know if you I don't know if you ever watched that show. But uh, that show is a breakneck show. There is no moment of silence in that show whatsoever. So it's very, very energizing. And it just made you want to play, like, 
I don't know, the Spider-Man games are out at the time, especially because, like, I think the guy who did Spider-Man's voice in the original Neversoft Spider-Man games on PS1, uh, his name is Christopher Daniel Barnes, he did the same, he did the voice for the Spider-Man on the animated series, too. So every time that show would come up, I would always just get the urge to play that original (laughs) Spider-Man game on PS1. Yeah, I I would... You know what I would get inspired to do a lot when I was a kid was to go play outside when I would play a game. Like I would play Dragon Warrior or something and then I'd go take like a like a fake sword and go beat the shit out of stuff in the woods. Yeah. Just, you know, that was kind of fun. And then obviously we had like Captain N, the Game Master when I was a kid and a bunch of other like very game centric things. So there was also that kind of reality as well. But more recently, you know, with the Castlevania Netflix series, which Chris and I both love, it's just so immaculate. It's so good. It makes me really wish for a Castlevania game in that vein. And and I wanted to play Castlevania when I was watching it, but I'm like, there is no Castlevania to play that I haven't played yet. So uh, we have to wait and be patient with Konami. Might be patient forever, perhaps. <laughs> Sumo Joe 118 wrote into us and said, hello, Colonial Colonito and Catapultic Christopher. That's not a word. I don't yeah. know what that is. Do you guys think we will ever get DLC or a sequel for Tetris Effect? I still play this game from time to time, and it seems like it would be a perfect platform to release new music packs every few months. The game has been out for a while now, and it seems like there won't ever be any new content, which is a shame since music and Tetris is such a perfect combination. I agree. Tetris Effect is amazing. That's an amazing game. If, if yeah. anyone out there is interested in just go watch a trailer. It's really great. And I was surprised. I went and actually researched this a little bit in preparation for the show. I thought that there was DLC for the show, but there's not. There's not been any DLC, or for the game, rather. There's not been any DLC for the game. And you're absolutely right, uh, SumoJo118. This would be perfect to inject tons of new content into, but I just don't think they're going to do it. And that's really unfortunate because Tetris Effect was one of 2018's best games. And I absolutely adored it. I loved playing yeah. it. It's, it's such a good game. And I, I, I do think that's like just a really tragic missed opportunity not to... Not to have song packs, especially because they just put out like a freaking Green Day song pack for Beat Saber, you know? Yeah. Like there's yeah, got to be something. That. There's got to be something that you could put in Tetris Effect. But at the same time, Tetris is so endlessly replayable because it's just such a perfect video game that I don't think it really needs any new content to stay relevant. I think Tetris is just one of those games that just like it's it's always going to be as fun as it always has been. And I think adding a new song pack would be nice. But, you know, if you're playing Tetris Effect now, chances are you were playing it back then. And chances are you're going to play it again, regardless of whether or not there's a new Imagine Dragons sound pack Oh God. for Tetris. Can't take any more Imagine Dragons. I just can't take it! <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know, the other thing you could do, Chris, on PS4 and... Uh, if you wanted more, you know, music and stuff, you could just kind of connect Spotify to your PS4 and then play songs in the background while you play the game. I think you could yeah. do that. So it won't really affect the gameplay quite like the music in the game does. And the music's so, so great. And and so, I don't know, it just everything, the way that game interacts with all of its elements is really symbiotic in, in a way that a yeah. lot of games aren't. And it's weird because even games like, I love Sound Shapes, for instance, and that was a pretty obscure game on Sony's platforms. And even that got like tons of DLC. So you think that they would have just figured this out, but you're right. I mean, Tetris doesn't really need that extra oomph, but that's what Tetris Effect was all about. So yeah, for sure. I, I do think it's a, I do think it is a missed opportunity. That game would flourish in an environment where that game could be busted open and people could make their own custom levels. I think that would be an like an incredible boon to that game. But sad, I don't know if that's really possible. I don't know if that is that 
is Tetris Effect on PC or any other platforms? I don't think so. I think I thought it was only on PS4, PSVR. Yeah, that's. But I could I, be wrong. I, yeah, that's. I think you're probably right, which is a shame because I think that that game specifically is. You you bring that game on PC, you're gonna see all sorts of amazing Tetris Effect shit because people just be like great. to break shit open on that platform and just make it just like crazy good. Yeah, they do all sorts of weird stuff. Like, did you see the? There's like Batman. I don't know. It was Arkham Knight or something where they made like Catwoman into Batman and oh, Batman yeah. into Catwoman. Dude, really man, weird. There's a Beat Saber level pack where you can play the entirety of Shrek 2's audio as a Beat Saber level, and God help you if you can do it because it's a fucking movie length level in Beat Saber, which will kill you. But uh, it, you can do it. It's a thing. I've seen it. By the way, I just looked. Uh, Tetris Effect actually did come to PC in uh, just this past summer. Oh, good. So it is there. Then so people, maybe there'll be some probably, cool stuff going oh, on. There's probably some crazy shit on there then. I got to look it up. Very good. Dano and Zero to know us and said, hey, CNC, a question for you boys. Can you explain to me what 16-bit and 32-bit, etc. games are? I could easily look this up on Google, but want to hear you explain it. Thanks. I don't know if you want to hear us explain it because you want us to embarrass ourselves or you just are, are lazy or whatnot. But <laughs> so we differentiate generations of games generally in, in video games by um, back in the day in the cartridge era specifically, but also in the early disc era by the bit. So 8-bit was like NES and Master System. 16-bit was Genesis and SNES. 32-bit was PS1 and I think Saturn. And then 64-bit was N64, etc. Now, as far as I understand, and you'll probably have more knowledge into this than I am, Chris, because I'm not technical at all, but a bit being, uh, I guess the way it is, is that a bit is what allows for processes to happen on a computer, like on a, on a I guess, a chipset or whatever, so that like there are more simultaneous processes, the more bits you have or the more possibilities, I guess. Yeah. So it's like something, right? Am I, am I explaining this right? I, so, yeah, I... I I only have like a rugrat level understanding of this shit, but it's basically like it's when you say 16 bit and 32 bit, those are references to the amount of data that can be passed, transferred or manipulated per CPU instruction. So if you have like so if if you can only manipulate 8 bits of data per instruction, your games are going to be a lot simpler, you have fewer colors, fewer animations because you just can't manipulate much data without frying your CPU. But it also works in tandem with RAM. So like the more RAM you have, the more the more times you can run that process. So it's I don't know, man. I I I have a I have such a little understanding of this shit, so I'm sure I'll be I'll just be called a a seething idiot by the next episode by somebody far smarter, but as far as I know that that's that's just how it works. Like 8 bits is like 8 CPU instructions per whatever. Yeah, well, that sounds that sounds much more sophisticated than the way I explained it. But yeah, that, that's the way I understand it, too. And what's important, Dano NZ, to note is that when you talk about 8-bit, 16-bit, 32-bit, etc., it's no one's really talking about that, or few people really are referring to that in terms of its actual technical fidelity. It's just a way to differentiate generations. The 16-bit generation simply is a way to say SNES and Genesis at the same time. And yeah, uh, yeah. Th- that's, that's basically what people are referring to. I mean, this whole bit idea is like not even... Uh, I mean, since I guess I guess what PS2 was 
128-bit or something like that. And I don't think you've really had anything since that point, or maybe even 256 or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's No, I think... Um, I mean, you could look this up. I, I might be wrong. But I think even on PC right now, PC is still primarily 64-bit because the amount of RAM is what matters more. If you have, like, 32 gigs of RAM or, like an insane amount of RAM, then 64 bits is, like, way more than you'll ever need because that's, like, that is 64... Let's say you have, like, 32 gigs of RAM. That is 32 gigabytes of space with which you can use to do 64 bits of processing that however many times that would fill up the RAM or whatever the fuck. I see. So it's... You don't really... You know, the the N64, if it is... Is that what the 64 was named after, the bit rate? I thought so. With a bit, yeah. yeah. So the N64 and modern PCs are still 64-bit. Okay, cool. As yeah, far as so, I understand. I might be totally wrong on right. that too, but fuck it, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're probably, I mean, you're, you're certainly right. I guess the point, I guess the much more rudimentary point I was trying to make was that we just don't differentiate generations like that anymore since yeah. those late 90s, early 2000s eras uh, because I guess people started describing things in technical ways in a different way, but we just then started using these more understood like seventh generation monikers or whatever whatever was going on i I still don't really i I still can't keep all that stuff straight to be honest but like i can name all the consoles and tell you when they came out but i'd have to like go back and count like okay like the Fairchild was like part of this generation or whatever and who really cares okay phantom moth stew sounds tasty he wrote in and said dear bros what the f is happening with beyond good and evil 2 The original was probably my favorite game on PS2, and I'm so excited to get back into that world. However, it's been quite nearly a year now. Can't help but feel Ubisoft are being a cock tease, and frankly, I'm starting to get blue balls. Uh, Are you a Beyond Good and Evil fan, Christopher? I don't have much experience with the original. I played Beyond Good and Evil for a little bit when it came to Xbox One backwards compatibility, I think like a year or two ago. So I don't have a super huge nostalgic connection to it. It is a cool universe, although I will say, given the evolution of the internet in certain years past, I'm not really that fond of seeing anthropomorphic animals. Yeah, uh, they're a little hor- they're a little horrifying, aren't they? Yeah, especially now. <laughs> like I think there was something kind of cute about it when you were watching like I don't know, Ice Age or something back in the day, but now now there's just you know, you got hotels being shut down because people in fursuits are shitting in diapers. And, you know, it's just uh, not a not an anthropomorphic friendly time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can't I, I just I can't deal with I just can't deal with all of it. It's just too much. <laughs> that was such such agony in that. I, I, I just can't deal with the whole furry thing. I just don't I don't yeah. want to deal with it. I'm not going to deal with it. So beyond good and evil two, I would really I reckon this game's not coming out. And you have to kind of connect uh, the creator of the game, Michelle Ansel, to this game to really understand what's going on here. Michelle Ansel, of course, was a creator of Beyond Good and Evil. He was also the creator of Rayman. And he is no longer at Ubisoft anymore. And he hasn't been at Ubisoft in like a long time. But I think he was working with Ubisoft Montpellier like as an outside contractor to get this game going. But you'll remember or at least some people out there will, will remember that he also created the game that was supposed to be a PS4 exclusive called Wild. And Wild was revealed at Gamescom in 2014 and has never come out. So something's up with this guy. Either he can't finish what he started, 
he's just not involved in any of this stuff anymore or whatever the case might be. But we haven't seen anything substantive out of Beyond Good and Evil 2, I think, since E3 and 2017. And I really just don't believe it's coming out. I just don't I don't you know, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. This game has been long rumored since the original came out. I mean, you can find interviews talking about this game from like when I was in college in 2006 and 2007. And it's just I just don't believe that you're ever going to see it. And if you do, I just don't believe it's going to lead up to or, you know, or kind of give anyone the experience that they were really hoping for. And I just think this Michelle Ancel guy has kind of lost the plot a little bit. Yeah. So uh, because people should go look up the wild, the game, the PS4 game wild. I mean, that game's not coming out and it was supposed to be like this really big, fun, exclusive. I was at Gamescom that year, like this really when they announced it, I'm like, oh, this looks interesting. I think the idea was that you were supposed to be able to play as like any animal in, in you know, and like kind of transfer between these animal bodies or whatever. And, and that game's certainly not coming out. Beyond Good and Evil 2 hasn't been canceled in any stretch of the imagination, but I just I just don't know what's going on with it. And I, I don't know why they announced it or why they showed it. And uh, I just wouldn't be confident. Yeah, it's a safe that's a safe prediction, I think, especially given the track record that you could, if there was no track record that you could justify that prediction with, then it'd, it'd be more of a more of just a bad hunch. But I think it's pretty clear that Beyond Good and Evil 2 is is well, like well away from existing in any meaningful capacity, I think, which is a shame because like Beyond Good and Evil is so kind of it, it's just it's it, it's a cool a cool little universe they built up over there. So it's a damn shame. JR wrote in and said, we all know that video games are not immune to politics and often circumstances surrounding a game's development, marketing, story, and or gameplay can cause that game and the industry to be thrust into modern political and social debates. And he brings up Mortal Kombat's violence leading to congressional hearings in the 90s, Kingdom Come Deliverance's supposed whitewashing, etc. My question is whether you think that activist groups, political parties, and even governments will start to actively participate in the industry beyond simply regulation and censorship. We have seen this in the past with America's Army and FPS developed and published by the U.S. Army. From my perspective, it seems that video games can become effective means of propaganda going forward, especially given the medium's ability to communicate effective story points while providing engaging gameplay like Bioshock's take on objectivism. In any case, I would love to hear your, what you think. I always enjoy the podcast and implore you both to keep maintaining the proper level of greatness with our Tuesdays. We will. We are keeping Tuesdays great. Thank you, JR, for your question. Now, Chris, you and I touched on this a little bit with Disco Elysium just earlier in the episode. But do you think that the do you think games can be used as a more literal political tool? And I, I, I my answer to this is obviously yes, because yeah. Andrew Yang obviously released a game recently, which was a pretty big deal on Steam, I guess, and people are enjoying it there. So I'm wondering what you would like to see out of a political game or how you think that this stuff could be used. Yeah, I mean, I I assume any type of media is probably effective as long as it's in some way promoting the cause that it's trying to promote. It's It works like pretty much anything. You could have propaganda, propagandized films or propagandized games or propagandized books or books meant to further political uh, motivations here and there. I I don't know if I really care to see more of that, but it I I assume it works even if in some small capacity. Otherwise, I don't think there would be much drive to even make them. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I also think it could be used in an economic capacity. I always think about when yeah, I was in good college. Fundraising. That, yeah, you can you can make money on it for a cause, and you can also bring brand awareness. I think about the Xbox games, the Burger King Xbox games that came out when I was in college. 
that were like, you know, sneaking and stuff like that, that were like really, <laughs> they were funny and they made you think of Burger King. I thought that was like a really smart thing to do. Yeah. And uh, I, I actually thought those games were fun. So, yeah, there's a, a bunch of different ways they can be used. But I think he's also talking about different stuff because I don't think. I mean, he brings up Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite and objectivism and, and obviously nationalism and all the things that they deal with in those games. Those aren't really pieces of propaganda that they're they're interpretations of events and interpretations of philosophies while something like America's army, which is that a U.S. army developed FPS is a bigger piece of propaganda. And it's also worth noting that video games and especially VR are used as training tools now. Um, yeah. And, and even drone warfare, which is like America's specialty now is all done remotely. So I think that you're finding a fusion of all these technologies with what video games are. But I agree with you, Chris, I don't want to necessarily see this, become something that is used but it would be funny as hell to see like bernie sanders release a video game yeah like a like an economic <laughs> planning game or something or you know and and again that that andrew yang game is is cool because it's just a cool way to get your guy out there if you like him and that game actually looks fun it, too. yeah it looks so. ridiculous it's got like a nice little uh akira toriyama like art style to it uh it's it's funny i, I like uh I, I remember back in the 360 days there were all these really weird free Doritos games that me and my friends would actually play on purpose because <laughs> they were actually kind of fun. I think one of them was called like Doritos Crash Course, where I think you're like, oh, yeah, your avatar. <clears throat> you just put your avatar uh, avatar through this. I just said avatar. Jesus. You put your avatar through this like weird kind of wipeout looking obstacle course. And it was genuinely pretty fun. They also had something called like harm's way which was like another doritos game and it i don't know if it was really effective at advertising but it was it was fun and it got the name out i don't know if doritos really needs help getting their name out there because they're the official gamer food but uh it sure is i don't know it, it, it it's just it's an interesting avenue to go through i long for the days of sneaking robert duvall wrote into us chris with the final question he says hey guys Recently, I've been making my way through Mass Effect 1 on PS3 for the first time. Some of these trophies are ridiculous. They really are. And looking forward to moving my save into the second and the third games and seeing how my choices pan out. Other than Bioware with Mass Effect and Dragon Age, no other franchises apart from episodic choice based games really adopted a system like this, despite it being well received with Andromeda uh, probably dooming Mass Effect to another reboot when we inevitably see it again. Do you think we will ever see this feature in games again? And why do you think it was never really or had never really gained popularity? It's a great question, Chris, isn't it? Because I really loved Mass Effect's slant on choice-based gaming and uh, really, really uh, thought it was so essential to what made that franchise special. And as he said, with the exception of the Telltale games, we just had never seen this before. Uh, so I don't know if it's something we'll see again. I think it's a design problem. I think it's a, a, philo a philosophy problem, too, in terms of if they want to have that much agency in their games and then have to really be beholden to the choices they made earlier. Um, but nonetheless, we will see how it all turns out. But I will say a, a big reason why I don't think you see it is because you have to be beholden to these choices that you've already made. Can't really make improvements. And then you have to really drag, drag it all through. And it's a design problem. So I, I really love that players like to do that stuff. And uh, I really loved it. Again, that's the hallmark of Mass Effect for me. But I think it really was probably a huge challenge for them. And I think creates and erects these artificial walls around your game that you don't necessarily want to be beholden to in the future. So that's something to keep in mind when you consider these kinds of questions. Although I give Bioware a lot of credit for making it happen and making it work. 
So that is all we have for this episode. We're having actually serious connection issues today for some reason on our show. I don't yeah, know if it's Zencaster or one hilarious. of us. Hilarious. It's really bad. You so know what's good, that's what's why good about this though is that uh, yeah. now uh, the hosts can listen to the podcast along with you. Yeah, we have, exactly. We have no idea what the other person said. Exactly. Now I'm gonna have to listen to the show myself and. Uh, hopefully Dustin doesn't uh, go crazy in editing it, but thank you guys for your patience. So you shouldn't really notice anything at all, but that's why Chris didn't answer the last question, uh, because he couldn't. Yeah. Um, so Chris, uh, any final words before we go? Uh, I, <laughs> I just hope my floors are okay. Yeah, me too. I hope you don't, you know, get flooded or, uh, the roaches don't take over, etc. cetera. Um, wishing you the very best with that as you, uh, settle back in. To your yeah, California lifestyle. It could, it could be the roaches again. Could be them, you know, learning all sorts of new ways to just completely fuck me. I know they really want you out of this apartment. Yeah, they're they're the ones driving this. But uh, well, Chris, thank you so much for your time today. Of course. Appreciate you. Uh, thank you all out there for your love, your kindness and your support on Patreon and on free feeds. Leave us nice reviews. Support us on Patreon. Buy merch. Listen to the other shows. Sacred Symbols Plus, Knockback, etc. We thank you. We love you. We'll see you next time. Take care. Ha. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Richmond, Virginia and Burbank, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Chris Adams, Carlos Algarit, Joe Arch, Morgan Ashley, Saul Balcazar, Taylor Barkley, Martin Beck, Tyler Bello, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Eric R. Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Nick C., Alex Cabrera, Patrick Harper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Rodney Coleman, Simon Conception, Brad Cooley, John Cordero, Gio Corsi, Philip Crone, Daniel Diamore, Colin Davenport, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Jerome Ferreira, Joe Finelli, Eric Fickenbeiner, Chris Galvin, Darren Gardner, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Tyler Goodwin, Hayden Gorringe, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Jonathan H., Eric Harden, Tyler Harris, Richard Hebert III, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Robbie Hensley, Scott Hernandez, Asa Haas, Blake Israel, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, Joshua Jonathan, Paul Joyce, Greg Julius, Anton Kay, Patrick Kelly, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Mike Naffo, Mason Cadillac, Jackson Lastiqua, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Keith A. Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lewin Ray Loper, Colin Love, Scott Lovelace, Josh M, Kiet Mai, Ryan T. Mandel, Ross Baranka, Matt Martin, Sean Mason, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartland, Raul Melendez, Andrew Mendoza, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Stephen Nieder, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, Dan Nolan, George A. Nunez, Jesse Owen, Jorge Palomino, Andrew Parker, Zach Parsley, Daniel Parsons, Todd Paxton, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Matthew Perdue, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Travis Plymel, Jeff Pollard, Lawrence F. Prokop, Nathan 
Nathan R. Ryan Reeves, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Daniel Rivas, Petro Rose, A.G. Rode, Jose Salinas, John Schultz, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Gregory Slavinsky, Joshua Smallwood, Ahmad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Trembley, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Dylan Wagner, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, Bloody Fang, Galjug, Casual Misfits Gaming, Homeworld Hub, Lockmort, Throw7, McDog18, Infinite, Boots, Organic Produce, Mad Mock Media, Not Your Real Dad, Mubarak, Craft Heads Podcast, Richter86, Hugo's Desk of Fortuna, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Dav9834, Gamer Filmaholic, Megadet, and Rainick. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.